No, you've just kept talking. So we're just going to stop right now. Hold on, stop. No, I just needed you to stop because I'll mute me. Okay. <laughs> That's the cold. Like that's them. that's the cold open. I just need you to stop. <laughs> <laughs> Friends, the show you're about to hear may contain coarse language, progressive attitudes about scale modeling, and in-depth discussion of technique and concept. If this is not your thing, then on your bike. Otherwise, please enjoy today's show while at the bench, on the drive to work, or while enjoying an adult beverage. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sprue Cutters Union, episode 36. We are three dozen years old at this point. Our episode's <laughs> old. We're old. We're old hats. <clears throat> we still don't know what we're doing. Um, I am Tracy Hancock. I am joined by my compadres, Will Patterson. What's up? And Chris Maddings. Hello. Oh, you fucker. I suddenly thought I'll do something really funny and I couldn't think of anything. So, hello. Uh, Chris has got the uh, the new 132nd scale A10 in his lap. So we'll, we'll see if he's we a, can't distract him from that with this episode. He's a yeah, you guys talk. Preoc- I'm make this. He's a yeah, he's a bit preoccupied because he got the test shot from HK. Oh, Do you know why I'm preoccupied? Because everything you've doing it, I'll tell you later. Carry on, carry on. I'll tell you later. Uh-huh, I'll do it on the roundup. Uh-huh. We'll just go ahead. Let him do be first at telling us what he's up yeah. up to. What's All right. Up? So uh, I went to Telford at the weekend to the Scale Model World Model Show, and I got given a test shot it was the first time i've ever been given it i think, I think it's the first time I might be given that's not true you got the, the test the shot 148 scale to have on rapid i'll get to that uh of the hong kong models uh, a20 havoc now i've never been interested in the havoc like a lot of american aircraft sorry but they leave me cold um but as soon as i saw you know like quite often you can well i don't know if you guys come across this because you get to pick what you build but when I was doing sound, <laughs> quite often I would just would not be interested in a subject. But it was a new kit from one of the, the advertisers and someone had to build it and all this. And quite often, once you start building it, either the kit really gets you and you love it or the subject, you suddenly decide because you're so close to it and you're building it and you're learning about the shapes and things, you suddenly decide, actually, you really like it. Well, this one, bit of both. And uh, I was standing at the table and uh, talking to Neil and there's going to be an interview, by the way, in the uh, Telford special that I'll talk about later. Um, and I said, oh, I can't wait to buy one because I'm really looking forward to building it. He says, you want to build it? I said, yeah. He said, well, here you go. Then here's a test shot. And listen. Oh, you can't get it because it's, it's so quiet. It just clicks. That, that's not clicking now. It clicked earlier. <laughs> <laughs> but the parts, sure it's just like... Sure it did. They just... That's it. Just yeah. click. It's just phenomenal. Really amazing. And this is the test shot. There's a few issues with it that I've relayed back to him. Someone mentioned that there's four sets of push rods in it for the engines. Did they do that again? They 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 did it. They did it on the on the Mitchell for the R twenty six hundred as well, well. And I just baffled. Someone it. put them on the sprues, but when I saw the CAD they've sent me through, because there's no instructions, just CAD, <laughs> <laughs> and it's still a lot of it. Like where the fuck does this go? Um, there's there's only two sets on it. So whoever designed the sprues, okay. there's somewhere along the you know what it's like. Changes get made to things, and along and sometimes they don't get followed all the way through the project. The changes, 
sometimes someone's updated their bit and someone else. So on the production one, there'll be two sets. Well, and the real test will come when you go to assemble it because their their engineering on their engines, I think, is pretty good. It's like a series of rings yeah. that sl- slide over a central core. Yeah. And um, if you put it together with two two sets of push rods and it's rattling around because you haven't filled up all the space, then you'll know there's a problem. Looking at the CAD they sent me of the engines, there's only two sets of push rods. On good. That's, that's so. good. That's good. Um, I wonder if that if yeah. that mistake made it through to their recent release of the of the downsized Mitchell. Maybe. Yeah, I think there's I another know. version of the Mitchell coming as well. It, it it looks like a shrunken version of the of the one thirty second one. Uh, but this one, the Havoc, there's a few little things on it which I've told them about, and they're already addressing because he's really open to feedback on it. It's part of the reason he That's gave great. it. That's great. So please, people, when I put photos up online, remember it's a test shot. It's not the finished kit. So don't. Eh, it's rubbish. By all means, mention it if you think you see something wrong, but don't assume the kit's going to be like that because they are still making adjustments. I mean, its I think it must be a relatively early one because there's no sprue letters or part numbers on any of the sprues, which also makes things rather interesting. Because when I tell him there's a part wrong, I have to send a photo. I can't say part A20 cause, or A39 because there's no fucking sprue letters and no numbers. But anyway, so um, there's an interview with Neil that's going to be in the uh, Telford special. Also, while I was there, I spoke to our good friend's at Four Corners Model Club. So I spoke to Spud, Peter Rusher, Andy Evans, Kev Smith, Ian McGonagall, and Dan Sankey. I spoke to all of them, and uh, we had a great chat. They had, I would say, the best stand at Telford, which is another reason I'm going to be persona non grata at IPMS. But um, they put it as well, they put them right by the entrance where everyone comes into the show. So the first thing they saw is that, and I just I felt sorry for the the visitors, basically, because they'd see that, and then the rest is like... But seriously, joking aside, there were some nice tables at the show, and a lot of people are going to be expecting me to say the show, the, the, the show sucked because I'm not, you know, I'm not famous for being a fan of the show. But it was a really good show. I really enjoyed it. It was about they won't agree to this; they'll they'll deny it. But it was about a third smaller than it was pre 2019. And even though they put it in three halls, the competition, which was upstairs before, was downstairs and was spread out with more space than it needed. And all of the club stands and the trade stands were spread out like, you know, a teaspoon of uh, jam on 52 slices of butter. It was pretty, um, (laughs) 52 slices of bread. It was pretty spaced out. You could have driven two trucks side by side through an aisle in Hall 3, which the traders used to get in through a side door. Uh, And usually that's row upon row upon row. And, you know, with just enough room between for one van. And, um, yeah, so it was pretty sparsely attended. And considering... Last year was the COVID one, and this one's supposed to be back to normal. It's pretty evident what's going on, that you know. Yeah, there's a lot uh, of economic factors with, with European manufacturers and Well, I was going to say, dealers. it's and, nearly all Europeans that weren't there. None of the European, virtually none of the European traders were there. Right. Apart uh, so, with a couple of notable exceptions. So, um, yeah, Edward went there, and Edward go every year and take a huge stand. I mean, like 20 tables or something, you know, in a big, they put it in a big horseshoe, fill it with kits and sell it high and sell it fast but not this year they weren't there and Tsukimura weren't there and Tsukimura always go no matter what the what the numbers were um or whatever I you know I I mean it's it's great that they were able to get back in business and you know I mean whatever you want to say about the judging or yeah any of the those details I think that overall it's a positive thing that that they're that they're going again and that model makers can you know come together and 
and, and you know, nerd out together. I mean, that's the number one thing with these contests and these shows. We get pretty focused, or at least I do, on the competition aspect of it. But look, honestly, you really it's, should, it's really... We really, uh, I know you know this, but I'm putting out for the umpteenth time for anyone listening. It's not like the US IPMS show where you've basically got competition mm-hmm. and vendors. Mm-hmm. The competition, yeah. floor space wise, takes up probably one twentieth of the space that the clubs take up. You know, the clubs mm-hmm. are what the show's about. And although I don't find a lot of it interesting, there was some really good stuff on some of the clubs. And what surprised me was there was a real buzz about it because it hasn't felt like that. For me, for years at that show, it's felt quite moribund and, you know, a bit sort of depressing. But there was a real buzz. People were really happy to be there and really excited to be there. And you could feel it, you know, and that was nice. It's always nice to be in a room with people who are excited. Very cool. Unless it's a rally of some kind. (laughs) (laughs) With, you know, big red banners or something. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the show's in decline, but I think that's because the hobby's in decline. I don't think it's... IPMS. I think this is oh boy, good. here we go. The hobby's dying. <laughs> Sprucuttersunion at gmail.com. <laughs> the hobby's not dying. There's plenty of companies, but there's less people buying more stuff, is the way I feel about it. There were kids there, but not that many. So there we go. But I got a bunch of interviews, and next Friday, so in between Sprucutters episodes, uh, I will, or maybe before, depending on how soon I can be asked to edit it. I'll drop a special episode, which is all the interviews. Very cool. There we go. And also, I won't say who, but I've lined up some really big interviews for the future too. Yeah, I'm excited about that. You connected with some folks that we have really wanted to to get on here and get under the uh, hot lights in the SCU interrogation room. So that's mm. going to be really cool. Last thing I'll say, so this isn't the whole episode, isn't the Chris episode. Uh, I also built the 148, as you mentioned, Dragon Rapide, um, armory models uh, in Ukraine. Those that listen to my other podcast will know that uh, it's run by a guy called Taras Karabin. And he has a partner in the UK called Ilya Sobolev, who's Ukrainian, but has lived in the UK for like 25 years. And Ilya ran a stand there for uh, Dora and Armory and um, Ace. He had some Ace stuff on there. No, he didn't have any Wingsy. Um but he also runs his own company called DBMK with a chap in the UK called Will. And they're the ones doing the 132nd. What? Yeah. You. They're the ones doing the 132nd uh, Supermarine. I'm going to get it wrong. Swift or something, I think it is. Mm. They're also doing a 132nd, 132nd Hornet, twin engine British aircraft, not the American one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little hot and, rod. That's cool. Yeah. They announced the Sea Fury as well. So they're the ones doing that. And we need to talk to them because Will, you'll like Will, because he's an aircraft engineer as well as a 3D designer. And he brings his engineering and his modeling together, designing the kits, which is pretty Yeah, that sounds like fun. I got sidetracked there, didn't I? And I built the the Armoury de Havilland Dragon Rapide for that. It was a 3D print rather than a test shot, but it went together beautifully and I can't wait for the kit. If the kit fits like the 3D did, it's going to be... And that's coming out second quarter of 2023. That's it. That's the end. Promise. Well, I think the the, <clears throat> the Dragon Rapide is going to make some people happy for sure. There's now going into scale mates. I want to say the only 148 scale offering of that kit previous has been uh, maybe the old Aero Club vacuum form. Yeah, I think so. Maybe there was a resin one sometime, but um, uh, certainly nothing in injection molded plastic. Yeah, yeah. There's been 172nd ones 
from yeah. Airfix, I think, of someone else, but not 148. And it's a nice size in 148. It's probably, do it in American, probably about 10 inches by 10 inches. Yeah. Um, Wingspan and fuselage. 72nd scale Airfix and Heller have both released uh, the Dragon Rapid. And hmm. maybe Aircraft in Miniature did a version of it. I'm, I can't recall. But it's just a beautiful aircraft. It sums up that interwar period of glamorous yeah. aviation, doesn't it? Of civil aviation and stuff. But you can build it military as well for yeah. all the people who like to. And you can't put crosses on it, though. Uh, no, world. you can put Spanish Civil War markings on it. Yeah. And British you can markings. Francoist ones. And you can do modern civil, too, because quite a few of them soldiered yeah. on after the war. And they're also doing a special edition in the future with a resin interior for the Royal Flight for the um, British Royal Household's Dragon Rapide. It's the maroon and blue. It's gold trim. Mm. Yeah, it's really pretty. Yeah. yeah. I like the ones that look like ice cream vans, white and cream and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know anything about it, but it's a pretty airplane. It's pretty cool. Mm. Yeah. There's one at Duxford. I'd see the PPP were there today, and hopefully they saw it flying if the weather was good. Because they do fly it around. Yeah, they do. Well, what have you been up to? Ah, well, let's see. Um, <clears throat> I finished uh, my little Spaceman Spiff project. Yeah, you did. And... Nice. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, <laughs> I feel I feel pretty ambivalent about it, as I do after every one of my figure painting exercises. I kind of wanted this thing to be like, I'm trying to learn to do more contrast. And I thought that by sort of doing this little cartoon character that it that it would lend itself to that and it did but i just yeah i just didn't end up where i wanted to and i don't know some of it's on the figure itself because it doesn't have a lot of of the kind of surface detail that lends itself to contrast if that makes sense like folds in the clothing or whatever Mm. so you know um and i um, I, I did end up doing the, uh, the visor is visor with the Molotow ink. Like I said, I was going to do, but that didn't really quite turn out because, um, that stuff is super fragile. Like I've tested it and, 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 and like looked at it a year later and you can still put a fingernail in it very <clears throat> easily. It's junk. It just never gets, it, it never gets hard. Well, um, it, <laughs> it's not made for doing miniatures, is it? It's made for drawing on stuff. Yeah. It's made for drawing on paper. And, um, but it is like a super good replication of polished aluminum. I mean, it it's it is it's great. I can't deny that. I mean, it's not like really chrome. You know, polished aluminum has a subtly different look to it, and it's great for that. Um, but what I wanted to do was give his visor a kind of that yellow or orange chrome look that 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 spacesuits have. And I know I've I've read about people using water-based clear on top of it and, and having it work, but either their standards are low or it's just something different because I tried aqua gloss and it and it ruined it. It just you know so that I mean I tested it first fortunately, and it it just was not going to work. So then I thought well I'll try some future and I pulled out my <laughs> my seven-year-old and piss yellow bottle of future. And it did not work either. So yeah, I don't know. I ended up just leaving. Newsflash: it. It's future. Right. Yeah, it didn't. Yeah, I just thought it was funny that it was already yellow. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing with future. Um, well, you got the future especially you know, tempted for those the space. Exactly yeah. right. Exactly, but it 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 did not. It was not going to work either. It they both uh, just took 
all of the brilliance out of the out of the uh, out of the finish. It just wasn't going to work. So I just left it bare, and it'll be fine. You know, it's I don't care. Um, it's anyway. I made a little base for it, and I was pretty happy about that. So that's done. I'm back on uh, the Armistang uh, for the Musaru Cup uh, for a little bit. I decided to. Uh, uh, go back to my Hornet experience and, and work on all the small bits, um, right now. And that's, that's gone pretty well. You know, did the the painted up, you got the landing gear painted, uh, got the drop tanks, uh, painted and weathered. Um, there's a little bit of a challenge with those drop tanks. Um, for anybody who's building that thing, they, they did a good job of approximating the real parts, but the problem is, is that the uh, you know those drop tanks the, the pylons have these these uh, sort of screws on them that act as anti sway bars, you know, so that the drop tank isn't flopping side to side, and so you can get it set to the correct level for the in flight attitude. And you can't really include that as a detail at 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 much of any scale, much less one seventy second. And so the tanks sort of sit on the pylon with a very minimal surface contact like there's no positive engagement at all it's the kind of thing where tamia would have probably said oh look we're just going to do a slot and a tab here and it's not quite going to look right but it'll be a much more enjoyable building experience because it's not going to just you know fall off um and I, you know, I, this, I mean, what Arma did with them is really realistic, but it's not my favorite engineering decision because there's just no positive engagement. You can't just set, you can't put the plane upside down and just set the tanks on the pylon and have them stay there. And I've, I, I, I got past a lot of that by drilling and pinning. Um, but, you know, that's a thing. You need um, to use your basic modeling skills, bro. Yeah, exactly. Fundamentals. Um, <laughs> you're right. Um, and then, uh, yes, then I got into the wheels. And wheels, cool whip. Yeah, this, yeah, this could, <laughs> this could be my burr under the saddle. It's about to be a short rant. I'll try to keep it short. If it, I think everybody knows at this point, because even Arma has talked about this in their builder's blog on their website, which is pretty cool. I mean, these guys, one of the things that I love about these guys is that they've got a, a very high degree of self-awareness. They're pretty open and pretty frank about issues with kits. They, they don't, you know, they don't, they don't hide from it at all. And I love that because no kit is perfect. And, um, the deal with the wheels, I feel bad for Arma because they kind of got... <laughs> the deal with the wheels. The deal with the wheels. Sorry, the, the Wheels. The wheelio dealio is that they got fucked by their tool maker. You know, Mustang. this particular version of Mustang tires have a diamond tread. And the, the, the wheels and tires are molded together as a single piece, which is great. I love that. Uh, you can't really do that at larger scales because it's you can't you know injection mold a piece of plastic that thick. Anyway, the problem is that the diamond treads don't line up on each half of the wheel. If that makes sense, like they're as much as a half a tread off. So the normal thing of restoring the detail by scribing across the center line doesn't really work. Because you can't make the fucking lines connect. 
and it's a major chafe. Like I'm super slow, obviously, but it took me like three hours to, to, to do one of them. And I still think it looks like dog shit. And I really don't want to do the other one. And, you know, I've been talking to some of the guys about it and some are like, well, I'm just going to not worry about it or I'm not going to fill it in. But the thing I keep thinking about is, is that IPMS Hamilton is going to judge this thing. And we have to assume that they're going to use the standard IPMS rubric. And it, and one of the things that it does say pretty clearly in the guidelines is that if there's an uncorrected bill, uh, kit error, that's a strike against you, right? And, and, and that you're supposed to restore panel lines across joints. Well, if you don't do anything with these treads, you've, you're on the wrong side of both of those points. And that's going to be, that's going to, Chris is laughing his ass off right I now. Just, and I have no idea why. I could just feel him exploding from here. He's like, must correct it. Can't correct it. Not allowed to correct it, but must correct it. Does not compute. It's it's that meme with the spaceman and the button and which one do you pick and yeah, <laughs> shitty wheel or break the aftermarket rule. <laughs> exactly. That well, that's that's my point because with the contest, we're not allowed to use aftermarket. Which would be the classic solution to this problem? Well, it would be the instant decision because nobody in their right mind is gonna is gonna fuck with these with these wheels. So, I kind of feel like. It's a bad deal for the guys, for the players who choose not to to address it at all because they may suffer a penalty for having an uncorrected kit error. If you do try to fix it, there's high, there's a, I mean, trust me, I tried and, and there's a lot of penalty there. I might come, I might get one part of one wheel facing the camera that looks decent. If you use aftermarket, you're, I mean, are you disqualified? So I made the pitch last night to the other players, hey, let's as a group go to I, go to the IPMS Hamilton guys and appeal to their fucking humanity <laughs> and ask them if they will allow us to use aftermarket wheels so that we don't all have to waste a bunch of our lives that could be spent surfing porn fixing these motherfuckers. Yeah, you didn't say that in the group chat. <laughs> I yeah, my sales pitch was a bit was a bit different, a bit cleaner. Um, yeah, and go anyway. Go ahead. Yeah, there are two two solutions I can think of to this that don't involve aftermarket or breaking the rules. One is that you sand all the detail off the wheel, uh-huh. and you scribe. That's three solutions. You scribe straight line tread if such a thing was possible on that particular. Aircraft. There is a ver- there is a version of Mustang tires that had block tread, and in fact, Ian wants to do that because they were apparently more common on the Australian ones. My favorite is the pictures of of Mustangs that have one of each, which was not okay, an two, unusual thing. You use a silhouette or or even old fashioned cutting skills. You sand the tread off. You cut new pieces of tread out of sheet styrofoam. <laughs> now I know you're drunk. <laughs> What's in that coffee? <laughs> That's that would be my preferred solution, honestly. Dude, there's like a hundred little diamonds on this yeah. tire that is about yeah. six millimeters in diameter. Yeah, and point. Yeah. And the third I'll one send them to you. is you get really smart, you because it's a smaller scale, you sand them smooth and you paint the tread on Trompe Loy style. So it gives the illusion of three D yeah. without actually being three D. 
actually Barry was talking about doing that, you know, bringing some of his mad figure painting skills to the problem. But to go back to your previous suggestion, you can't do that because you're using an, a material that's not in the box. Well, use the cardboard from the box then. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I suppose I suppose you could you could you could like take a sprue and heat it up and roll it out till it was super thin and make some plastic sheet with it. But you yeah. could potentially, although there's a high margin of fuck up, sand them smooth and very carefully scribe in a whole new tread. But obviously, you'd lose maybe a tenth yeah. of a millimeter off the diameter of the top. Uh-huh. So yeah, well. I thought it was a slam dunk. I thought all these guys would be like, fuck yeah, that's an outrage. We're not doing that. Let's go. Well, of course, I didn't count on Darren, you know, because Darren's a master craftsman. And of course, he had to be that guy. And just to be cool, he went off and 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 sanded and scribed one in about 45 minutes. And he's like, oh, I did it. <laughs> so <laughs> thanks, Darren. Anyway, so I don't know, you know, I guess, uh, I mean, I've done one of them and it's not, yeah, it's not great. Paxson would rather buy a solution than make one. You're not wrong. I, (laughs) you are not wrong. I have no problem throwing money at things, especially when it can buy me a time. And so, yeah. If it wasn't for that rule, you'd be looking at what, $15, fish, bash, bosh, done. Yeah, Why? it's not even a question, is it? Yeah. It's not. And, and you know, somebody said, well, hey, look, you only have to have the kit wheels on there for as long as it takes to photograph it for the contest, which is true. Um, so I don't know. I may end up doing that. I may end up buying an X, you know, a set and putting them on there afterwards. But, yeah, IPMS Hamilton, guys, if you're listening, I'm just saying, you know, anyway. <laughs> could you not just That's fill, me. Could you not just fill the tread, sand it smooth, paint it, and be done with it? Have no you could and have a have no tread. Sure, I could depict it as you know the the treads are completely worn off. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Ac- accuracy is not judged. Right, exactly. So, so the it, easiest it, solution you know, would be to fill them, sand them. You paint are a hundred percent correct. And then you when you're finished with the photos, correct. put whatever wheels you want on it. Mm-hmm. Yep. The yep. issue here yep. is Will's perfectionism. It is. It is, and the fact that I'm a fucking baby, as Tracy has correctly pointed out. <laughs> so, but I'm about to set that aside because... Will's going to paint a tank. I'm going to build a tank. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You're going to start one. It remains to be seen if you finish it. No, no, no. If I'm, I mean, look, I'm going to commit. This, this got started because Justin Lentz... I don't know how this guy does it. It's just because everybody loves him. He's like, hey, guys, let's do a group build with 148 scale something, and you have to be done by the end of the year. And the next thing I know, everybody's doing it. And so I was like, you know, I might as well. This is a good time for me to build because I could build a 148 scale Tamiya tank. So, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty quick. Ran right out, bought the uh, Easy 8. And I am now fully down the rabbit hole with reference photos. And <laughs> it's just easy on the box. <laughs> You're right. That's for, why I picked it. For eight and up. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great kit. You're not going to be fighting the kit to get to the finish line. Um, you're going to be fighting yeah, yourself, picking out which reference you're going to use and whatnot. But I'm, mm-hmm. I'm excited. I think you'll do a great job on it. I think it'll be fun. Yeah, I think so. I think we'll have to stop you building armor again because you make the rest of us look bad. I'm gonna have fun with it. I my, the danger for me is is that I'm, I'm I mean I'm already down the the rabbit hole with 
uh, 3D printed light guards and spare tracks and, you know, now trying to figure out. Because I'm, you know, in my usual ridiculous fashion, I'm going to just make it an anti-tank. And uh, so I'm going to find some shit to pile because they apparently all had some kind of stowage but i want to find something cool to pile on it not the standard stack of sea rats and tarps but yeah we'll get to that check out Vayike. i know right he makes yep. great stuff yeah oh, he's bound steve's bound to have some good stuff for that yep yeah absolutely and he's a super good guy so I'm actually going to open the box. I'm going to open the box today, and if I get super motivated, I'm going to do like a video series for the for the adventure. So we'll see. What about, what about you, Hancock? Hancock? Yeah, the fuck you've been doing. Um. Well, I am ninety five percent finished with the Panzer One, which is why you. What you're supposed to post pictures? No, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> you're supposed to post pictures at eighty five percent, and when you're finished. Um. So yeah. How can we tell you it sucks? Huh? How can we tell you it sucks? You can just generally tell me it sucks. You know? <laughs> like, we don't have to yeah, see okay. it. We know it's bad. Not likely. Um, I am in the process of gluing on all the, the the tiny little bits that were either in danger of being knocked off that I didn't glue on or that I did glue on and knocked off during the process of the weathering. Um, I've got a real cool figure. i got some... Uh, I got, man, I, I'm really happy about these. Um, I've got. Where is that figure from? Because it is cool. Uh, tank, uh, Russian. Is it an injection molded resin, or is it resin? Okay. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, tank models out of Russia. Been in my stash for a while. It is really cool. I'm not sure they're still going. Actually, I haven't seen any stuff from them for a long time. Anyway, I think so. they are. I think that. Yeah, I feel like old. I saw something pretty recent. They've got a massive catalog though. Um, yeah. But yes, that's a, it's a. That figure's got a lot of character. Um, and then I, I was really happy that I ended up getting some 3D printed cats from Mathos Miniatures. Um, and they're really sweet, you know? Like, one of the things I really like about it's it's there's a real scale fidelity to it. Like, they're really slender and they're very fine. And there's not... It, it's not... It's not the compromise. You know, we talk about the toy soldier figures yeah. versus what we're getting these days out of resin and 3D printing. And the, the cats are the same thing. Like, if you got a cat from uh, any kind of a producer, you know, five, ten years ago, <laughs> you were going to get something that was like the size of a sheepdog. Um, I'm over here laughing at the thought of you painting the cat's butthole. <laughs> <laughs> There's one tail raised, yes. So it's a little set that comes with five different cats. And the, like I said, the fidelity is really nice. They're very delicate. They actually, when you put them with the figure, they look right. They're the right size. They're yeah. the right sort of, uh, they got the right finesse. So I'm pretty happy about that. Um, be working on those when I'm not losing parts and finding them and losing them again. Um, Find those decals yet. Nope. <laughs> nope, but I got my archer order so I can I can go back to the scimitar. Um Panther's still on the desk being periodically worked on. Uh only other thing is I finally got off my ass and started an Instagram page for my modeling. Which is Ooh, yep. cool. Tracy Hancock scale models. Ba -da -ba -da -ba -da. You know. 
And I see you also avoided my problem of forgetting all the time to uncheck the box to share it on Facebook as well, which is really fucking annoying. Uh, well, I learned that lesson because previous to this, the only thing I was really using Instagram for was work. Um, yeah. And I got really tired of posting a post for work and then having it show up on my page uh, as yeah. well. So I've gotten pretty good about unticking that box, yes. Other than that, it's mm, about it. I mean, I think the, pan- the Panzer books, 1 is going to be the, the one that gets finished quickest. New books. That's looking really good. I got some stuff from uh, a buddy of mine, Thomas, in the Czech Republic, which um, mm. actually, this is going to get me building some Allied armor too. I don't know if you guys can see that. Ooh. It is. Pelzen 45. Yeah. Wait, Pelzen is that an easy 8 on the front? No, no it's, a it's a M18, I think. Oh, I can't see it very good. Yeah. But there are easy 8s in here. They're, this thing is full of Shermans. It's nice. basically, <clears throat> it's a nice compliment to what I've already got because a lot of what I have is focused on the, you know, the Prague uprising and and mm-hmm. sort of German armor and armor that was captured by the, the Czech uh, patriots and used against the Germans. Um, but you had the Russians come into one side of the Czech Republic and the, and the Americans come into the other. So I've got a few that deal with some of the Russian equipment, uh, but this one's almost almost entirely american and it's got man it's got everything in it um hellcats and chafees and shermans it's a it's a cool little book man i'm really appreciative that he he sent that to me nice i have a question Mm. i arranged for both of you guys to get a package in the mail some time ago yeah my wife was livid (laughs) <laughs> that stuff in a plain wrapper, man. <laughs> I was just yeah, baffled. Not that package. Yeah, so that is the Benchmate 2 that is sold uh, by our buddy John Geigel over at Masterpiece Models. It is the updated version of the Benchmate, which is a, a product that I designed that he sells. It's a It's a fixture. <laughs> You're sunk, so he fixed it. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. I fixed it because we wanted one that would work for armor. And that's why it got sent to you two. Um, And I just wanted to know if you had a chance to try it out. What do you think? I have not. Mine is still in a bag simply because every flat surface in this room is covered with a work in progress of some kind. So as the... well. Again, as the Panzer One crosses the finish line, I'll have a, a clear space to, to assemble it. But I do think it's going to come in really handy whenever I kind of jump back into the Panther full force because it's it's clunky right now. Um, so I'm hoping yeah. that that little jig will be a problem solver for me. Well, I hope it is, and I and I'll be. I hope we can come back to it, and we know when you guys have some thoughts about how it works. Because, you know, I want real-time feedback on my engineering. The deal was that the first one was really just for aircraft. You could, you know, put the air, airplane on the adjustable uh, uh, supports and secure it with rubber bands. Uh, this one has a, uh, a clamp that is sort of a sliding clamp that lets you grab something that's more of a box shape, like a tank, a car body even maybe a ship hull. I don't know if it'd work for that. But anyway, <clears throat> yeah, that's the deal. Um, my feedback on it. Uh, the first thing I did was assemble it just to see how it went together. And Good. It's, cool. 
I previously had a Vertigo jig, whatever you want to call it, which I can be honest about because I bought it and I didn't like it. I ended up giving it away. Uh, you had to glue it together out of mm. acrylic, clear acrylic, and it didn't want to glue properly. And it was it didn't have positive grip and it was really... Sh- and I was like, this thing's shitty and got rid of it. Um, so first thing I noticed was that this one is a lot more solid and a lot more positive in the fit of everything. And Great. I really, you know, I was impressed with that. Particularly, I think they're cast resin parts. Yeah, well, are, yeah, yeah, we had we had two goals. We wanted him to be able to cast the the uh, part. There, it's it's a combination of cast resin parts and laser yeah, cut, and clear acrylic, clear acrylic. Yeah. It, we 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 wanted him to be able to do cast resin on those uh, standoffs or supports or whatever mm-hmm. the fuck you call them. We wanted it to be easy to assemble. It was, except the butterfly screw uh, nuts and screws which a couple of them didn't fit they just would not i had to file the threads to get them to work so he's buying the, you mean the you mean, oh you mean the nuts did not want to yeah, screw yeah, on yeah. to i had yeah. one of those as well and i think that's yeah that's an unfortunate Wherever he's thing. getting them from they're not engineered the, i mean yeah, i could fix just... it with a little file but it's just a little bit annoying all yeah. the parts he manufactured himself are excellent good uh and I feel like I could use it for some ships, but the jaws aren't deep enough to use it for yeah, a lot of that's what I, yeah, of the curve, I, yeah, you know. yeah. The main but thing was... I recently was... bought one from um, uh, Laser Model Graver in, um, in Ukraine, which is brilliant for ships, so I'll use that one for ships anyway. But I reckon I could use this one for aircraft and armour. Easily you could use this for aircraft. Well, one thing I like, it's got little notches in the, the grip arm slidey things, mm-hmm. which you can put elastic bands on to hold right. your project that's the yeah, idea. Hold it down. Yeah, stuff like, yeah, 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 that's the idea. And uh, yeah, I haven't used it yet, but I think I I can see myself using it with the um, with the havoc. Sweet, sweet. Did you get and things like that? Did you get a full set of of supports? Did you get the the four aircraft ones and the tank ones? <coughs> no, I don't think I did. Or maybe I did, but I didn't even I didn't put them on. Um, I don't tend to need a jig for building tanks. I'll be perfectly honest. It's just you know. Yeah. The two things I hate touching models for are decaling and uh, spraying. And I wouldn't use it for spraying. Yeah. The way I get around the spraying thing is I spray one side, wait for it to dry, and turn it over so I can hold it and spray the other side. And with lacquers and stuff, it's not exactly a long wait. Right. Um, but decaling with aircraft, I fucking hate it. Because if you want to go quickly, you end up touching decals and moving them. So with a jig, I can spin it in the jig, decal. That's going to be good for that. So I'm looking forward to that. Cool. Mm. But I'll try it with armor. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll be wrong. You know, maybe I'll be wrong with with uh, armor, and it will work out well for that. So. Yes, he did mention. He did mention decals, 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 stickers. That's gonna be our. That's gonna be our topic today. We're gonna answer mm-hmm. a. Finally, we're gonna do that and answer uh, a letter we had on that. Uh, uh, but. Uh, do we want to do... Who's running uh, this episode? I don't know. I just... Yeah. <laughs> that so guy there. Sh- I'll just... Sorry. Doing the links. Why, is this, why is this not like an easy flow collaboration? Why has it got to be like, you know... Nah, it doesn't. No, nah, it doesn't. We could do whatever. I don't mind. Teamwork makes the dream work, baby. Indeed. So this is probably a good point for us to break and have a word from our sponsors... What's up, gangsters? Let's take a second to talk about the latest products from Anna's. 
Tom is constantly working to give you the best tools and details for your precision modeling needs. And now he has sets of spear precision tweezers for tasks like applying those tiny Anna's decals or his super cool tiny resin switches, PE parts, whatever you need. They're made in high grade stainless steel and have an extra sharp needle tip. Tom has also introduced a high quality synthetic paintbrush line. They're called Martisan Kolinsky and they're excellent for detail work. They've got high elasticity, stability, and fine tips. The triangular wooden brush handles are also nice because they're a lot more comfortable to hold than the traditional small round brush handle. They're available in three sizes, 20-0, and 5 I've got a set of them, and I'm always finding new uses for them. And of course, there's always his range of the aforementioned resin detail parts, decals, and the 3D print files that you can download and print on your own 3D printer. So head on over to Aniz, that's A-N-Y-Z to see what Tom has for you to make your own perfect pieces. Thank you for listening to those words from our kind and fantastic sponsors. Uh, and now... Well, we had a production meeting. <laughs> <laughs> and now you've got to listen to us again. Or, you know, should you be choosing to listen to us? Uh, hey, you know what? Now's a good time to just say thank you for all the people that listen to us. You know, this is not something... Heck that, yeah. It's not something that we... Um, we do it for fun. We're not trying to, like, turn it into, you know, a business, clearly, or we'd be... Probably. Ain't nobody getting paid for this shit. No, we'd probably be a little more polished, but we, we have a good time doing this. Um, and for the three of us, I'll be honest, I wish we were. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> for the three of us, it's a, it's a it's a really fun time, and it's really nice to hear that other people are enjoying it. And periodically, I think we should just stop and be like, "Hey, man, thanks for listening. You don't have to. There's lots of other great stuff to listen to, and we're happy that you're including us in in whatever you're listening to on your drive or your bench time or whatever." So. Thank you guys very much. Yeah, absolutely. Grateful that you guys give a shit. <laughs> yeah, thanks for lending us your ear holes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, with that said, you know, we, we've expressed our gratitude. Group hug. Yeah, yep. group hug. We, we've expressed our gratitude. <laughs> and now to the... Now gr- we're going to now we're gonna complain about some shit. <laughs> now to the gripey bit. Yeah. I think this is the most popular bit of the show. Uh, you know, it probably though. is. Burrs under the saddle. Burrs under my saddle. Burrs rich in the butt. Burrs under my saddle. There's one wedged under my nut. Okay, burrs under the saddle. Who wants to go first, guys? Who's who's burrs the itchiest? I've got so many burrs. I needed to burn my saddle. So, Will, you probably should go first. Yeah, mine's mine's quick and easy because it just happened like yesterday. Because um, there was a guy who posted, I forget which group it was, um, his uh, Empire, Star Wars Empire, uh, AT, ATST. Uh, ATST Walker that was all painted up in tiger camo. German three-tone camo. German three-tone camo with the crosses. 
And uh, look, honestly, it, it, technically, it was well executed. He had figures. It was a little sort of a diorama vignette. I mean, it was, it was kind of you know not a lot of weathering, but it was well painted. It it you know it was well executed in 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 technical execution terms. But seriously, I was shocked at the number of people who commented, oh, this is so clever. This is so creative. This is so cool. So original. <laughs> so original. And I'm like, seriously, did you just join the internet yesterday? Because I can't count the number of times that I've seen somebody do this. And yeah, I'm not a fan. I don't think it's creative. I don't think it's original. I certainly don't think it's artistic impersonation. Impersonation. <laughs> That's what it is. It's artistic impersonation, not expression. Um, and it's really easy to make the argument that this is just fantasy glorification for the wearaboos of some Nazi fetish. I, I'm not saying the guy who did it is a Nazi fanboy. He might be. You never know. But seriously. When, you know, and I'm like, why would anybody do this? And some guy was like, well, because it's fun. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah. But when there's so much other fun shit to do in the model making space, so many other cool things to build, and there's so many cool things you can do with a Star Wars vehicle as it was intended to be, why would you do this? It just doesn't make sense to me, I'll honestly. Tell you why. And, and hold on, hold on. My last point, my last point, and then I will yield the floor to the gentleman from North Carolina. People are like, well, I've seen, you know, X-Wings with invasion stripes or stars and bars. Yeah, like one out of ten. For whatever reason, it's vastly, it's the, the Nazi thing is vastly overrepresented in this weird little niche. And I just think it should stop. I'm done. Well, it, it is vastly uh, overrepresented. You know, I mean, reading through parts of that thread, I mean, it was like, over a hundred comments. <laughs> yeah, um, right. Woohoo! So cool. I've never seen anything like that. Like, ugh. okay, <laughs> okay. Maybe you, maybe you haven't. Like, okay, maybe, maybe you're just like a casual modeler. You don't spend a lot of time on other places on the internet besides the Tamiya page. Like, maybe you haven't seen anything, and maybe that is really. Cool. They was shame. No, I'm just saying. Like, just because we're we're using our experience to to reflect on other yeah. people's, right? So. But you also had people commenting like, well, you know, Lucas's uh, designs were clearly uh, derivative of the uh, of the Nazis in World War II. All the Empire designs were. Yeah, and. And. But I'll tell you why. You asked, why would somebody do that? Because it's easy. Because mm -hmm. it's easy. It is. It's lazy. And it's fucking lazy. I'm not going to call lazy it lazy. I'm just going to call it easy, right? You've got all these camouflage schemes. You've got, like, your... your transposing one bad guy into another bad guy like it's just easy like it's mm -hmm. you know if yeah. you, i think for me i i i'm way more interested in star wars stuff that is painted per the the star wars universe and really mm -hmm. done well that interests me because mm -hmm. i think the star wars universe is cool and the vehicles are cool mm -hmm. yeah and i'm interested in people who like sort of take it as a uh a stepping stone, a jumping off point, and who like incorporate all this other stuff and kit, kit bash things together and, and produce stuff like, you know, uh, EMBQ designs and things like that. Those are really interesting to me. But 
yeah, you're right. I mean, somebody who just slaps some, some you know, Balkan crews and, and iron crosses and and German helmet stickers on their three-tone camo, it's just, it's a little uninteresting. Yeah. And, and, and listen, this is not personal, okay? I just think as, a, as an object of visual interest in the model-making space that it's just, yeah, it's weak sauce. Well, it is personal, right? It's like what... Just like everything else we choose to like or not like. No, I mean only in the sense it's personal for me, I guess. A, yeah, not yeah, a sure. Personal it, not not against the person who did it. I because I don't know this guy, I don't know anything about him. It's not about that at all. I'm not trying to say anything about, you know, the type of person who does this. I just think that as an object, uh it, it is just it's just lame. I just don't get it. It's a it's an easy go to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, Space Nazi, stick a cross on it. Well, that's a whole different subgenre anyway of stick a cross on it. You know, it's like um, I interviewed um, Alexei from Ace Models recently on my other podcast. And I said to him, what's the most popular stuff, German stuff? And he said, well, other than that, anything you can put a cross on, basically, will sell. It requires no creativity in my eyes to, to just put a cross on something. None. And it's their model. They could do what they want with it. Uh, and this is purely a personal opinion, which is worth all of the money that you've paid to listen to it. <laughs> uh, Patreon's accepted, obviously. <laughs> you can ask for your money back. Um, it's, uh, it, you know, it's just lazy and boring. And I'm fed up of seeing it. it it's a it's got to the point where it's just a cliche and it's a boring cliche. There's nothing imaginative or interesting about it. Sorry. All right. Well, Meddings, what's your actual burr under your saddle? Well, that was one of them. So well covered. I'm not <laughs> yours. Um, hyperbole, which is quite interesting coming from me. It was just used quite a lot. Uh, I saw the um, Katari Spitfire. They were on the table. I was with um, Ilya on the, the uh, DBMK slash Dora slash uh, Armory stand this weekend. And next door to us, brilliant, got to spend some time with Richard and Darren from Katari Models. And they were just really great guys. They had the new Spitfire. And when photos were posted online, there were people saying it looked like a 1970s Airfix kit. What? A 172nd 1970s Airfix kit. Now, these, if you don't do like people it, need or to you go think to it's eye doctor, I mean, this might be why their models look shit, but because they can't see. Yeah, but um, I, I get if you don't like a kit or you're disappointed in a kit. And to the person, if you're listening, who actually posted the original thread saying that he was disappointed in it, he wasn't saying this. This is just stuff that was said on his thread, and he's perfectly entitled, especially as he's pre-ordered one. If he feels disappointed, to be disappointed, and to say that, but. If you're gonna dislike something, be honest about it. Don't say it's like magnitude, orders of magnitude worse than it actually is. <laughs> Everyone can see, you know, it's like these people, awful people that go, "Oh, the, the, I tried to build the kit; it was dog shit," because they couldn't put two of the parts together. There's no such thing as a dog shit kit. There are some mm. poorly engineered kits, mm. and there yeah. are. Yeah, <laughs> that's. You know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Look, I can. I can make a small <laughs> package and send it to you. Uh, <laughs> Not counting Dujin, uh, or um, or uh, uh, what was uh, Mac Two, um, but <laughs> <laughs> someone showed me a Mac Two kit the other day. There was more flash than kit, uh, and that really thick flash as well. That's like lumps of it, and not the thin stuff. Anyway, I digress again. Um, just be 
be honest, be realistic about you just you don't make yourself look clever doing it. You make yourself look like a petulant child when you say stupid over the top stuff like that. So just, you know. And also it was a test shot. I've spoken to the guys about it. There's stuff being fixed on it. They just wanted to bring something to the show to show people. So and it was a actually I held it, physically held it and looked at it up close. It is phenomenal. It's got some of the best surface detail I've ever seen on a kit. And where some panels look like they don't fit, if you look at the real aircraft, they look like that on the real aircraft. Because Spitfires weren't exactly precision. Well, they were kind of precision. But they weren't beautifully smooth, flat aircraft. There was a lot of, you know, fuck it, panels, sort of edges and all sorts of funky stuff going on. So Well, each Spitfire was basically handmade. So, I mean, yeah. yeah. it's it's a, yeah. It, I, You know what annoys me about all of those is and I know that you know there were quite a few of these people who were actually there saw it in person okay cool yeah. but I have yet to see any photos in any of these posts that support honestly either side of the argument they're all shitty low res cell phone pictures taken from way far away and on a I, turntable I, because it's moving when you try yeah. to get the photo I mean you know at least have, at least give us some good pictures so that we can sort of form our own opinions but no that's too much. I'll tell you two things about the kit. They had a few parts out for you to test fit together, and it really was that Tamiya-style click with a, where the seam virtually disappears when you put it on. The other thing is a lot of people are saying how some of the details are too raised, and the designer told me that was a mistake. They're working on that. He's already no, you know, already addressing that. Well, and let's be clear. These are the ex-Wingnut Wings guys. They didn't just fall out of a tree. I mean, they've sort of done this before. And Wingnut Wings... Whatever else you can say about that whole thing, their stuff was exquisitely detailed and fit together well and had good engineering. So why would you think this is going to be any different? Well, to be fair, a a lot of the, you know, of course, we're focusing on a couple of of sort of more uh, prominent naysayers, but uh, clearly they brought this kit to Telford to, to show people and to get excitement building about the kit and I've heard more good things and more people being excited about it than, than negative, you know, so mission yeah. accomplished for them. Actually, there is a kind of, sorry, <laughs> one more mini burr about this particular thing. Uh, everyone keeps comparing it to the Airfix kit. Now I went and saw the Airfix kit and it looks fantastic. It does look really, really good. I mean, you know me, I'm Airfix, so this is saying something. I thought it looked, ah, chef kiss, beautiful, really amazing kit. However, A, it's 124, and Qatar is 132nd. If you don't want a massive Spitfire, the, the you know 124 might be too big for you. And B, it's a Mark One. It's a Battle of Britain Spitfire. The Airfix one is a Mark 9C, I think. The Airfix one is not going to give you a Battle of Britain Spitfire. If you want to build a Battle of Britain Spitfire, the only 132nd one that's been made since 1967 is the Qatari one. Doesn't the... Wait, Ravel? Did they their one thirty second would have worked for that, wouldn't it? I think it's a Mark. No, it's this different Mark. It's a Mark it's One, not a Mark One. It's a. It might be a late Mark One, but I mean they did anyway. one in nineteen sixty seven. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, write in if I'm wrong. But anyway, if you want, you know, no one's done one for donkey's years. That's why they chose it. I can't ever keep all the marks and the years straight, so I could be wrong about it yeah. too. But they're recently they're they're Ravel's most recent one thirty second Spitfire because I built part of one of them for my weird mashup with a with a uh, with a truck. Um, but that's been a minute. That's been like six years. So. Well, it's not been forty years. 
I'm Googling it now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I look, I totally agree with you. I think, uh, I mean, you know, give it a chance, but fuck. And it's aircraft modelers are just so fucking negative before the gate even drops. I mean, seriously, wait for the race to start. Yeah, I just thought these people haven't actually seen it and I've held it and, you know. Yeah. Sorry, but as far as I'm concerned, my experience and the experience of those who are actually there to look at it, Trump's experience of people looking at it on the internet, on bad cell phone photos like what I posted. Well, to be so, fair, I think the guy, I think the OP in that thread, if we're talking about the same one, I think he was there and he did see it in person. And he is a good model. Yeah, yeah I'm not he, talking about him. Yeah. He is a good model maker. So, you know, he's got some credibility with his opinion, but I was a little surprised, um, you know, because we've had conversations with Mr. Alexander. He's talked about it a little bit in, uh, you know, private conversations and in SMCG a little bit. And, you know, look, we know those guys are dedicated i got to say, I wish I could have recorded it. I had a drink with him and Darren, the designer, at the show, after the show on Saturday. I tried to record it, but it was just too noisy in the pub. But the stuff they told me when the recorder was turned off. <laughs> but I can't tell you. So there we go. Otherwise, they'll never talk to me again. But yeah, it was a very interesting conversation. All right. Well, Mr. Hancock, are you sitting on any sharp objects? Not really. Uh, I'm, He's so laid back. Yeah, I'm pretty all right. I mean, the, the, <laughs> I've yet to. Uh, you guys, I, we got, or I got uh, tagged in a post today about the new Star Wars kits that are coming out from AMT, the the Tie Fighter one thirty second, and um, ooh, uh, the Bad Batch uh, shuttle in one one hundred and forty fourth. Mm. I think. Uh, Is there going to be an X wing? I don't know. Is there going to be an X wing in one thirty second? I don't know. I don't know. I just I just saw this stuff today, um, but apparently there are already people complaining about the price versus the <laughs> nineteen seventy five. Well, I guess the movie came out in seventy seven, so I'm I'm guessing like seventy nine uh, era kits. You know, well, you could buy one of these. I'm like, well, it's pro- they're when probably- I bought an AMT kit in nineteen seventy three, it was two ninety nine. This is this is boxed as as a new release, new tools, studio scale. So I, you expect that something has changed. It's not a reissue of the old. Yeah. You know. I'll tell. You, I'll be honest. I really fucking hope something's changed. Oh. Because AMT don't exactly have a great reputation. No, they don't. Um, they make really interesting subjects good, that you wish were better. Yeah. Um, but again, like just to return to something we've talked to about before, like you're not entitled to set the price that a manufacturer wants to charge for something like that. That's whatever you, whatever expectations you have of how much something costs is just, you're just pissing in the wind because you, you've got, you don't have a horse in the race. You have nothing to say about it. So it's like people, you know, I, well, I'm not going to buy one. I'm like cool story, man. <laughs> I don't care. I, I must admit, I don't think I've ever seen a company read that and say, well, that's it. The project's canceled. Nope. <laughs> I can't remember it. We're Never out. Happening. Sorry, guys. Our bad. Yeah. So other than that, I'm good, man. All right. Well, what's next? Uh, well, we've got some letters. We need to attend to those. 
Here's one from Dave Morris. Guys, I've listened to every episode, the paint chemistry ones twice. It must have been pretty difficult to listen to. <laughs> That's dedication, man. I like this guy. <laughs> I long appreciated your podcast, Unique Voice. You've got a unique voice. That's that's like one of, that's one of those, isn't it? Oh, one thanks. Of does. Uh, but got to be honest, don't quite get the extreme butt hurt over river counters <laughs> because the term doesn't apply to guys like you bottom line experts aren't rivet counters and most rivet counters aren't actually experts in my mind a rivet counter is the guy who puts down other people i don't know why he's capitalized people there by criticizing the accuracy of just rivet count in his sentence <laughs> by criticizing the accuracy of his work he's motivated at the core by the need to show he's smarter than everyone else many times he doesn't build much because when he does build he doesn't do it that well so a rivet counter is a subspecies of internet troll contrast that with the expert who's using the knowledge to help people their identity doesn't depend on being better than me so their comments are, contrib are contributions they can literally say build how you want and mean it i get that some folks may misuse the term but it seems to me that calling a helpful commentator a rivet counter is a sign of insecurity uh, P.S. That being said, my internet policy is to not say anything unless critique is specifically asked for. Here we go. I was about to read out sent from my galaxy, but we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> like the guy going, read clip. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. End clip. <laughs> All right. So. I have thoughts on I that, but over yeah, to you guys, I, I, I do too. I've been winding up my response uh, ever since we got this one because. Um, I mean, look, we we encourage everybody to, to send us their their viewpoints, and especially when we get into a sort of controversial topic like the rivet counter thing. Um, and I'm going to be the first one to say that when it's a philosophical matter, that you know, there's it's it's hard to be wrong. But in this case, Dave, you're wrong. Don't feel bad, though, because you're right there with a lot of people who just unfortunately don't know the definition of rivet counter. So here it is. I'm going to read it to you directly from Wiktionary. Rivet counter. A person who has an obsession with the minutia of their particular interest, especially in military and technology history. Anyone preoccupied with small distinguishing features between different items. So, yeah, I... Maybe I missed something. I didn't see anything in there about being a troll or just about being an asshole. And that's because it's a different thing. Rivet counter as a term was invented way before the internet was. And it, for... 1926, it, I think. Yeah, it's been around a long, long time. And it's only, in my experience recently, that model makers have decided to turn it into this thing uh, you know where it's this dork with a superiority complex who just wants to make himself look smart uh by telling you that your thing is the wrong color and, and that's if i could yeah go ahead i'm that's uh, just, that's basically what i have to say i uh, just i just i just think you're i just think you're incorrect i am rivet counting your definition of rivet counter <laughs> are you a, are you as a dork with a superiority complex and a uh, wiktionary definition. Some some people <laughs> think I am. Some, an internet some connection. people think I am. That's for sure. Uh, I did. I wrote an article on on rivet counting once and the origin of it for a, a brilliant uh, online magazine, which unfortunately doesn't come out often enough, called the Armor Journal, uh, for my good friend uh, Alex Saretza. 
And uh, the origin of it is actually, I can't remember, I'd have to look up the article now to remember who it was. There was a company in the 20s, maybe even the, like the 19-teens, as it were, um, in the US that made model railways. And they brought out a, a, like this big engine that was like a prestige engine for the railways at the time. And it was a prestige model. It cost an absolute fortune and was for real, you know, like um, well-off collectors. And it was supposed to be accurate in every detail. And unlike the toys previously, it was supposed to be a true scale model, etc. And they spent an awful lot of money on it. They released it. And allegedly, about a week after release, they got, a, or whatever, they got a letter saying, I'm sorry, but I've counted the rivets on the boiler. And I think you'll find there are 1,326, not 1,322. <laughs> and that's apparently where the origin comes from. So ironically, it comes, it, it allegedly, it, it comes from model making. But there you go, I'll rivet count your rivet counting definition of rivet counting. <laughs> now that's meta. We're so meta today. All right. We did have another one in case there's anything else to come up. So I'll, which in a similar vein. So I'll quickly read that in case there's anything yeah, else. Let's hear it. Uh, I do I, I do have comments on the on both because they're the same kind of thing really. Uh, the other one was from Simon Vincent, and Simon writes, uh, "Hey guys, I wanted to send a quick message regarding the chat around rivet counters in episode thirty-five. I feel, and I expect a lot of others may agree, mm, assumption that you have missed the point." Unlikely. I believe a rivet counter is not somebody concerned with accuracy in the way you describe yourselves and many most serious modelers. A rivet counter is somebody who insists everybody else must also be concerned with this to the level they are and mock those who are more casual or have made errors in a model. This is what the meme meant by superiority complex. It is not implying that you have this complex by caring about accuracy. It's bemoaning those that do act in that way. Does this even make sense? I felt I wanted to bring it up as you've discussed the topic a couple of times and have a different view on the term rivet counter than others will do. Being a rivet counter is not cool, but counting rivets because you care about detail, all good. Tell me if I'm wrong. I often am. Um, the problem is for me, uh, Tracy, sorry, do you have anything to say no, about that? All right. The problem is for me is that it isn't used consistently. It's used very inconsistently all over the place. I've seen people called rivet counter and troll saying like if they see a model that's not particularly good you could try maybe eliminating some mold lines or you know it's great but it's not really the right you know that's a 1950s tank in a world war ii scene but you know it's still a good model sort of thing and people go rivet counter anything that isn't add a boy gets rivet counter chucked at it so because it's used so indiscriminately i don't think it's very narrow definition that it's someone that tears down a model because you know they want to feel superior i don't think yeah that's a a way it's used but it's not the only way it's used yeah i agree uh, and that's yeah, the problem. I, I agree and i'm just going to go back to the definition that i just read i mean you guys know i am i am all about the nomenclature and it's it's right there uh, and I, I you know i don't know if it's a chicken or the egg thing if there was a rivet counter who acted like an asshole and started that whole thing or if there was some insecure butthurt model maker who got told that the color was incorrect and he decided rivet counters were all assholes. I don't know. I mean, you know, certainly both things happen. We've seen both things happen. You know, I've seen guys be less than tactful in providing information, but I see far more of the other thing where dudes just overreact. It's like, it's like this thing about, you know, I mean, 
we've 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 all seen it in all these Facebook groups where you know somebody rage quits a group because they're sick and tired of you know have seeing people's models torn down and bullies and this that and the other and the the, the reality is 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 that that there are always going to be these people who just are looking for reasons to be offended. I mean, that's why I sort of, in general, don't have a lot of use for the whole concept of being bullied on the internet. I mean, because, you know, you're just sort of working off of little tiny words on a little tiny screen. And so it's really kind of up to you how you deal with it. And if you don't like it, you can ignore it. You can block the person. You can quit Facebook. You can quit the group. You can log off the internet forever. It's really up to you. And, and so I feel like that when somebody is just giving you information, that's all it is. And that's all a rivet counter is doing by definition. And so I, you know, I, I guess maybe this is going to be, uh, going to be, going to be one of my new missions. We don't see uh hairy stick repeated a whole lot anymore. So I feel like that one has kind of been successful. <laughs> so now it's time to eradicate rivet counter. Well, the funny thing is you've got people who go to places like SMCG and they're, they're, they're asking questions about, you know, clear coats and paints and things like that. And, and they're looking for information. They're looking for information from people with experience or, or people who have, you know, a little bit more knowledge of the subject. Right. And then the flip side is when you, when you see somebody post something on a group, like for instance, about how all CA glues are the same and, and you correct hmm. them with factual information so that people on the whole don't walk away with that erroneous knowledge. Right. <laughs> yeah. I understand then all that of a sudden, reference. Then all of a sudden you're a rivet counter for like correcting, <laughs> them. you know, it's that's, that's the way a lot of people use it. Like if you contradict what I have to say, or if you say anything critical about yeah. my model at all, then you're a rivet counter. It's, it's just, this sort of lazy blanket term for, you know, uh, I don't know, modeling asshole, you know, but the thing is, like we pointed out before, like you're, you're not insulting the people you think you're insulting. You're insulting a wide range of really talented people, whether it's people who are knowledgeable about a particular subject, people who are just really fantastic scratch builders or something as simple as like people who know a lot about paint chemistry or CA glue or whatever, like, you can't just fucking call everybody a rivet counter when they disagree with what you have to say. And that's what we see a lot of. The other side of it is, and I think we, we talked about it last time, is that it's just tired and old. It's not like we're getting offended because people are making jokes about rivet counters. It's just fucking boring. The same old bullshit joke that wasn't funny 10 years ago and isn't funny now. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's like grow up a bit. Yeah, frankly. it's boring and unoriginal. But I go back to what I said before. It doesn't add any value. It just doesn't. It, it, it's all. I mean, obviously, you you'd have to be blind to not see that it that it creates divisiveness within the community, and we just don't need that. It's just there's it serves no no purpose, no value, and um, but. It, just stop it. I I kind of think I kind of think though that to go back to that reference that Tracy made, 
<laughs> the real problem is that there's just a lot of model makers who are just super delicate and they get their feels super hurt when anybody disagrees with them and they just can't handle it. I mean, that thing he was talking about, I was in a group, uh, it's like 148th scale model airplanes or so. I don't even remember the exact name of the group. It was so inconsequential, but, but the, the, uh, the, the, some guy asked in good faith, what's the best CA cyanoacrylate? What's the best CA glue? And he got a bunch of responses that were pretty decent, but this one guy was like, well, they're all basically the same. And several of us were like, yeah, no, they're really not because you get different viscosities. You can get rubberized black cyanoacrylate, you, 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 you know, different. Anyway, point being is we know from using them a lot that they're not all exactly the same. And so I was like, no, they're really not. And he got super butthurt and turned out he was the moderator or the admin of the group. <laughs> and I basically just defended my position that, you know, yeah, in fact, CA is not all the same. And yeah. And I have to say, you weren't an asshole about it. You were just factual and polite. Yeah, and not until the end when he told not not until that. the end when he said, I suggest you just leave it alone. And I said, yeah, nobody cares what you suggest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, to be fair, he has to respond as the admin at that point. But I didn't give a shit. It's not like I, yeah. you know, like I, I can even remember the name of the group. So, but the point is. We see you trolling, Will. We see hey, you trolling. You know, I go hard sometimes. But uh, yeah, that wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't one of yes, yeah that that was not one of them. I was just you know doing my thing, you know people just people just can't deal with it, and that's and that's their problem. That's not the rivet counters problem, not at all. All right, so yeah, John Murray wrote in. Um, good evening, Chris, Tracy, and Will. Uh, I had some events in my life that really fucked me around in August and it also affected his ability to support us on a Patreon. I stopped listening to the union as I did not feel right using and enjoying content I hadn't supported. So he stopped doing it, but now he's he's uh, a Patreon again. Um, he's just got around to listening to the episode with Scott on SMS Paints and thoroughly enjoyed it after meeting him in person at uh, their local expo where he placed with his dinosaurs. He's a nice guy, and I have used his products for a couple of years now. One thing I think you may want to know, uh, my son, also John, and I were chatting at my granddaughter's sixth birthday after travelling 250 miles to attend her party. We were discussing podcasts generally. <laughs> what wonderful party discussion. Uh, and Rogan and Spruecutter specifically. Uh, John and I have similar mindsets, although he enjoys Joe Rogan more, whereas I don't. We were talking about podcasting, and we both came to the same conclusion that podcasts are not something we generally enjoy. We both enjoy the SCU, in particular the longer ones. He mentioned to me there were two episodes that I had to give a miss, though. One was Margot, and one was... Um, with Anton Derbelova because of their hearing issues. Uh, I think John wears a hearing aid and the sound quality on those wasn't fantastic. Uh, the audio gave us both issues. We're now wearing hearing aids and have successfully listened to Margot's episodes. John has hearing issues, that's John Jr., after being an airframe mechanic on Royal Australian Air Force P3C Orions. Uh, we both enjoy the crap Will gets from you both and enjoy the crap Will hands back. <laughs> that's the best part of the show. I am looking forward to listening to the ones I missed and getting reinvigorated again after the enforced layoff. One more thing I forgot to mention, listening to Will in the episode talk about the similarities of model and photo groups 
really hit the nail on the head. The same issues crop up in both groups with the same vehemence. Airfix versus Tamiya and Nikon versus Canon. That's that granular tribalism mm. everywhere. Yeah, but oh, I'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, fuck these topics go around and around. Both are beset for the, by the latest news, whether the latest model or what have you, or the latest kit or what have you. And what we both enjoy is pushing of our individual boundaries and skill sets. We usually fuck up, but that's part of the enjoyment. Wondering, I can fix it, but can I be bothered? We use each other primarily as a second pair of eyes. Uh, now, <laughs> there's a lot there. Sorry, <laughs> I read it all out in one go. Um, but the first thing I want to say is, John and anyone else listening, you do not have to subscribe to Patreon to listen to the show. Um, we do this for free because you can't give shit like this away. And uh, <laughs> while we really do appreciate our Patreon supporters, the vast majority of our listeners are not Patreon supporters. And we provide this just so you can listen to it or not, as the case may be. You don't have to pay for it. Don't ever feel like you, you have to contribute to this show to listen to it. Your ear holes are a contribution enough. We, hey, we just look, we appreciate anybody who's, who's listening and is that thoughtful about our content. I mean, and I know John uh, from Facebook. I, he's, you know, he and well, both of them have been in SMCG for a long time. And um, John, the elder, at least sometimes will chime in on these uh, little sort of conversation parties that I throw on my personal page where I'll post up something, you know, about current topics of the day. That's where I tend to discuss politics and um, I, I know recently this 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 is particularly uh, apropos because I recently posted a link to a Joe Rogan podcast that I thought was relevant. And I know, you know, Chris, you and Tracy are not Rogan fans. You guys know I am. Um, and and so I don't want to wear that out. But John was like, look, I just I just don't like the guy. He's I just find his delivery to be banal and it just doesn't engage me. And what I really liked about that was that he focused on the fact that there's a style, like there's a personal style issue. Um, I had a really wise uh, boss one time who said, look, Patterson, a third of people are going to like you. A third of people are not going to like you. And a third of people don't even give a shit. He was optimistic. Exist. <laughs> right. <laughs> I felt much better. I felt much better. I'm like, sweet. Kind. I've got a, I've like got a one in three chance. So I, I mean, look, it's it, that that really is a that really is a, a a thing. I mean, there are plenty of people out there whose work I respect tremendously, but I just can't listen to. I, for, you know, they just don't. It just doesn't click for me, like John said. And I think that. It shows some wisdom on his part that he's separated personal style from content. Mm. And I wish everybody could be that rational about it. That, that's all. I think what separates us from the other podcasts is all the dick jokes. <laughs> <laughs> There's that. There is that. And hey, if dick jokes aren't your thing, you know, that's cool, right? That's that's everybody's everybody's got their preferences. And that's yeah, the great really thing. Don't like them, but, you know. You know, but but that's the great thing about having so many, you know, podcasts in the model making universe is that we all sort of bring something different. We all sort of bring our own flavor, and you can choose. You know, you can pick and choose what you like and what works for you, and that's that's a beautiful thing. I mean, the whole podcast sphere is pretty interesting, right? Like, it's all all the um, sort of 
sub interests that that people have, there's something out there for you. Oh, you totally. Um, I was listening to a, a podcast about The Wire where they go through each episode and talk about each episode is, is a separate thing because I love that show. Yeah. Um, but eh, it didn't click. It was okay, you know, like, but I'm sure if I keep digging, I could find a podcast about The Wire that I really clicked with, you know. There's, there's a ton out there. I think it's good that people don't like all the podcasts because if they were all the same, we it wouldn't be worth listening to them all. Yeah, I mean, every podcast has got its yeah. own flavor, and you know, and every podcast, the modeling podcast, has got its own flavor and its own style, and that's great, you know. And they all got their dedicated audiences. There are some shows Absolutely. I think should get more listeners, deserve more listeners, but most of them do really, really well. So. You know, there's obviously an audience out there for them, and and uh, if there's plenty of people sure out there that that can't stand listening to us three. All right, so there we go. That's letters covered. We've got an interview. Well, interviews coming up. Um, we got That's right. This is a special episode. It is. We we took it upon ourselves to to approach three of our friends who've completed um, some fairly good sized projects, some monumental projects, and uh, just chat with them for about a half an hour each to. To get their feelings on being, you know, being finished with something that monumental, what they what they learned, what they liked about it, what they didn't like, what they if they would do it again, if they'd never do it again. So Okay. Let's do it. Hi, I'm Scott, the creator and owner of the Scale Model of Supply, Australia's largest manufacturer of hobby paints. Our premium airbrush-ready acrylic acca paints are designed specifically for use on plastics with a comprehensive range covering all popular modelling subjects including military, aircraft, rail, auto, sci-fi and more. And not only that, but we also have a wide selection of essential hobby tools and now, infinite colour and new range of water-based paints for miniatures. So to check out our range and to find your closest retailer, please visit our website at scalemodeler.com.au. So when quality matters, choose sms paints hey sprue cutters it's chris and i'm here to tell you all about tetra model works from 172nd to 135th from 1700 to 1350 tetra model works provide you with all the pe you need for your ship armor or aircraft project whether you're building a t62 pla frigate or a royal navy carrier tetra have got the best pe you can find to take your project to the next level Easy to use, inexpensive and beautifully packaged, Tetra PE is the best PE I've used and I can recommend it to everyone. So go to tetramodel.com now to find out what they have and where you can get it. Or go to my store at insidethearmor.com to see what we have in stock. <laughs> yeah, that kind of works. That kind of works. All right, let's get into it. John Chung, welcome back, man. We're glad to have you here. Uh, this is kind of a post-game interview. This was a cool idea that Tracy had uh, where we are going to get three of, of you master model makers on here to talk about projects you just recently completed that have been getting lots of attention and deservedly so because they're just so fucking uh, mind-bending and amazing. And so what we're here to do is talk with you for a few minutes about your spectacular F-18 that you just finished up. So welcome back. Thanks. Thanks. I really appreciate it, guys. It's, uh, it means a lot for me to be invited back on here. I don't know. I 
I probably screwed up quite a bit last time to be never invited back, but here I am. <laughs> no, dude, you were no, you it was were a great a, interview. Yeah, you were a great guest. It was it was one of our more popular episodes. So no worries, man. You know how to handle your business, and you clearly know how to handle your business at the at the workbench. But give us give you know for anybody who's like been living under a giant rock um, and doesn't know, give us just a quick rundown on your Hornet project. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for that kind introduction. So um, for those that don't know, I spent the past year or so uh, building a forty-eight scale Hasegawa CF one eighty-eight. Um, the Canadians don't actually call it the Hornet because in French, Hornet is Freelon. And I think we just don't want to upset the uh, French helicopter company that builds the Freelon helicopter. So if I say the CF-188 is a Hornet, somebody's going to lynch me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, back to the model. Uh, so but prior to that, uh, I spent uh, a better part of 2021 building my space shuttle, 72nd scale monogram space shuttle. So at some point, I decided that, hey, I need to probably take a break and do a palate cleanser project that's not just a ton of body work. <laughs> yeah, yeah I know. It's a little ironic because this one turned out to be a little longer than I thought. I, I thought I would just spend a couple months on it, and you no, know, 10 months later, it's finally done and dusted. Um yeah, and we're laughing so that, because of because of all of the stuff you decided to do along the way for this palate cleansing. But also, we'll get into ten that. months, ten months for the amount of work that you put into that thing is really incredible. That that's that's to to me fast. But considering the amount of work that you put into it, was it a quick model for you? You know what? I don't feel that way because the model was actually uh, dug out of my. Um, shelf of doom so when i started back in january the intention was just to have something that well, i don't really care if it's had the potential of being finished or not i can just you know clean it up a little bit slap some paint uh wind down a little bit from the shuttle project and then get back onto it um so if you if you look at my progress um even even by march or february most of the painting was done most of the weathering was done and it just kind of crawled for the next six to eight months since then. So I think to me, it was, uh, it did drag on a little bit longer than I wanted to. Um, at the same time though, like I did, a lot of things have happened uh, in my life personally that you know, just allow me to work at the usual speed and pace that I would have liked to, to have that project finished earlier. Um, concurrently that, that, that then allowed me to do more, um, of the detail work that manifested itself, uh, in scratch building or surface detailing or things of that nature. So I think I guess at the end of the day, it balanced out. Well, let, let let's just set the stage for everybody. Kind of put this thing in perspective because when you took it off the shelf of Doom, it was basically a complete airframe, if I remember correctly. Like it looked to everybody like it was ready to paint right then. And the first thing you did, I can't remember exactly what it was, was you took a saw to it because there was something about it you didn't like. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, kind of almost. Uh, it, it was actually already sawed off by the time I took it off the shelf of Doom. Um, it, it, I Before I, sh I shelved it uh, years ago, I sawed the belly off to install aftermarket resin intakes. That's what and I think it was. That's, 
<laughs> just yeah, yeah just, I think that's just some intakes. Yeah, I'm just gonna cut this thing open and put some new intakes in it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's one of those most. I, I don't know. I was uh, I was feeling ambitious. I was just I was just being silly and stupid. I I, I saw the belly off, installed the intake, fared it all in, and decided that it's too much work. I I didn't care about it anymore and binned it. Um, and, and and here I was, you know, like years later, digging it out, figuring if it's worth uh, putting it back together. And on we went. <laughs> well, it seems like that should be the obvious answer. But what I mean, you did a lot of really challenging stuff. You it seemed like every every time you posted, even after you had already done again, what appeared to be enough work to 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 get it to the finish line immediately. Um, like I'm thinking about when you were already, I think pretty well through all your basic paint and you decided that the kit canopy wasn't good enough and you were going to transplant one from the kinetic Hornet onto it. Am I, do I have that correct? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, uh, that, that was quite the episode in itself. Yeah, um, and so you had to. It wasn't just a matter of swapping the clear parts because you had to do the. You had to transplant the piece immediately behind the canopy that where the hinges are, right? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. That the spine was uh, instrumental in making sure that the instrument, uh, sorry, the 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 canopy itself uh, fitted correctly to the rest of the fuselage. Um, my, I think this is um, an artifact of you know, like when when. When I first started the Hornet project years ago, um, I'm a Canadian, right? So the Canadian Hornet is dear to my heart. It's like the only fighter jet we ever flew in the past 40 years. It's not like uh, all the other nations where you have an aircraft, a U.S. aircraft carrier is the size of our Canadian Air Force. That's it. So for us, Canadian Hornet is, is you know, it's, it's the only aircraft that we have. And it's the aircraft that I grew up with. So, so I wanted to do it justice. And that's always being at the back of my mind with this particular model, even after so many years. And with any major project, there are a lot of things I wanted to do since day one. And this is one of those um, to accurize the shape of the canopy, um, in addition to all the other work that I put into it. So even though this project was rescued from the Shelf of Doom, um, and I, I try very hard to not um, scope creep what I wanted to put on it so that it will not become a multi-month project I think somewhere along the way I, I kind of failed at that and then I just let the gate <laughs> wide open and you think <laughs> the flood came running out and, and and there's that the rest is history well, it should can't help yourself. Can you? Yeah, it's it's. I mean, you 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 put the you put a whole new uh, level of compulsion on compulsion. But do, was that the most challenging thing? What 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 do you feel like was the most challenging thing about the whole project? Oh, uh, you know what? I I I've been thinking about this um, a little bit, and to be completely honest, it's it's not any of the technical execution of the model. Um, it, it's more just a balance between my approach to modeling in general and my personal life. So, so over the past um, year or so, there's been a lot of changes in my life. Um, we welcome a new child. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Uh, it's one of those. There's being a, yeah. Oh, thanks. Congratulations. 
uh, there has uh, been some serious health issues with my family, so that took away a lot, away a lot of my bench time. Uh, work got really, really busy. So you know, there, there are times when I could only sit down at the bench for 15 minutes at 1 in the morning, things of that nature. And when you're trying to build a model to any level of care and attention, sometimes that just doesn't work. You know, you can't just load up your airbrush and then five minutes later decide to call it a day. Um, so with that in mind, I find that my approach to breaking down what I can do at a certain amount of time, that's reasonable. And also even the sequence of construction, you know, a lot of a lot of models will have, say, the cockpit at the very beginning for aircraft models and such. I had to switch things around so that it made sense so that I could complete what I needed to do at a certain amount of time and go back later on if I have to, to finish it up. Um, and, and also just my uh, my personal approach to detailing. I used to be very much uh, a scratch builder across the board with all the use of aftermarket parts. And on this model, I've incorporated a lot of aftermarket uh, products, you know, resin injection seats, uh, 3D printed nozzles, um, 3D printed pylons. And, and to add to that, if I had more time, I probably would have catted up some of those parts myself and printed them, but I just simply did not. So shifting gears and knowing how to adopt uh, to what's available around me uh, in the modelverse to achieve the result I wanted, I think that's a bit of a departure. And you know, I, I wouldn't say it was easy, and it certainly was a welcome learning experience. So that, to me, it was the hardest part of this model. I love that. That that's a great answer because I think it's just natural for most people who look at stuff like that to assume that the biggest challenge was a specific technical or skill challenge. But, you know, project management is a thing and and especially when you're trying to continually add things in the way that you did. I mean, right down to the last to the last minute when you put the uh gun safe indicator um sticking out of the out of the side of the fuselage <laughs> drilling holes in the side of your completely beautifully painted and weathered model um, that was just that, that was my favorite no compromise no prisoners but i think that, that was probably my favorite part too just like the the fucking balls man yeah i don't know yeah. that i could have i could have gotten balls a drill bit steel. anywhere near that you know yeah i love it <laughs> You guys can tell, right? Like right down to the last minute, I was taking shortcuts. Like I, I stretched that screw with red plastic so I didn't have to paint it red. <laughs> yeah, shortcuts. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Work smart, not hard. Yeah. Well, I just love the inventiveness of that. I mean, you, you know, because it, wow, that's just such an elegant solution, right? And and so on top of doing something that was just so ballsy, you were just super smart about it. And I, so this brings me to the next question is, you know, give, the result is amazing. I mean, you, you just killed it. But what is your personal favorite thing about the, about the end product? Oh, uh, I, I love the weathering. It's, you guys know, right? It's not something that I do very often on my models. My models mm. tend to be a little bit more cleaner looking from a painted finish perspective. But it's, it's a Canadian Hornet. We're, we're known to not take care of our Hornets. And I think that's also why a lot of model builders love a well-done Canadian you know, CF-188. It's just so eye-catching. 
Yeah. It's very random. Uh, there's a lot of character to it. Uh, you can tell the interaction between the elements and also the people that take care of the aircraft. There's just a lot of stories to tell. Absolutely. And I think that's, I, I have a lot of fun doing it for sure. Well, you did great. And I remember when you announced on, on this show that you were going to go harder in the paint on the weathering. I was like, okay, because, you know, I know your style, which is, which is fantastic. But I was like, all right, let's just see what he does. And <laughs> you, he fucking knocked you were, it out of the park. Yeah, man. absolutely. You were not, you were yeah. not bluffing. I, I think one of my favorite parts is all those fucking handprints. Yeah. I want to know how you did those specifically, because I'm jelly. You guys are way too kind. Seriously, I I I tried to use the the simplest and cheapest material and products I could find. Just that's just my personality, and that was literally done with a fine point brush and some artist oils. I just I just looked at my own hand, literally beside the model, and be like, "Well, this is kind of like you no, know, the if I if I cover my hand full of grease and slapped it on my table right now, what would it look like?" And I just kind of you no know, copied it. Uh, and because it's oils, you have the benefit of being able to just, you know, put some turpentine to it, wipe it clean if you have to, redo it. Um, that's really it. I don't have a more sophisticated, uh, sophisticated answer to you. I think the element that you're missing out there is uh, you, you talked about how like, realism is really important to you and observation is, is the number one thing. And I think you really pulled that off. I saw photos recently of a, a real cf18 and um it just it, you know you nailed it basically the, those little marks coming off the fasteners on the tail and and everything you could tell it was observation it was really good keen-eyed observation yeah thanks i appreciate that absolutely keen-eyed observation also just like the you say you know it's there's nothing special you use the cheapest materials blah 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 the weathering's just so balanced it's got nothing to do with the materials it's, it's all about the hand behind mm. it and I just found everything like extremely balanced and very nuanced, very subtle. Like when you started adding like little streaks coming off of, of grease coming off of, of little bolt heads and stuff, I was like, man, that's so good. You, you can't see it from three feet away, but when you get in there, like the, the it looks great. And then you get closer and it looks even better. And then you get closer and it looks better and better. Like it does you can get as close as you want and it's constantly a rewarding thing to look at. There's always detail yeah, popping I, out. I, you nailed it right on the head. Uh, when, when I first started planning how I was going to weather the aircraft specifically right down to that, my new detail, um, I was, I was keenly interested at, um, at a few things. One is how is obviously how is the aircraft weathered EF 18 specifically as a type, but how, how is a Canadian aircraft weathered? That's unique and different than, say, how the Americans have had it, and uh, how the, you know, the Spanish or any other Aram, the Australians have have had it. And right, right from there, there, there's some nuanced differences. Like if you look at the vertical stabilizer of the CF-18 uh, on the outboard side near the base. There, this horizontal roll of black streaks coming out. That's very prominent on Canadian Hornets, and I don't know why it's not on any other air arm. I don't think McDonnell Douglas would design a different type of fastener heads right across, yeah, right I... across there. So it must be the way they maintain it, or, or 
know the type of paint that we use for the color that we use. Well, um, one thing we one thing we know is it's not sealant, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's uh, that's an interesting uh, path. <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit of an inside joke there because uh, John had a guy pop into his uh, Facebook feed who swore he'd been working on hornets for 18 years and blah, 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 blah. And it got, it got pretty, pretty hilarious. Uh, that guy, that guy got shown the exit pretty quickly. It was a, it was a great rallying of all the troops uh, and it was good entertainment. Yeah. Probably still visible over there on your page for anybody who wants to go see it. Right. For the LOL. Yep. It's right there. Uh, minus his own comments. I think he, uh, yeah, he <laughs> when he banned himself yeah he bitched out <laughs> i thought maybe he just blocked me but yeah anyway but you're right i because i've studied lots and lots of photos of hornets myself obviously and and you don't see that particular kind of streaking on american hornets and i was bummed because i wanted to do some <laughs> when i saw yours <laughs> i was like i need some of those and it just they're not there uh, much if at all so it, it would be an interesting thing to solve that mystery yeah, and, and that's I think that's what's cool about doing a project like this because you you get to you get to really dig down and really show the character of the subject. You no, know, aside in addition to it being a hornet, it's like you no, know, like U.S. Navy GPS corrosion paint scheme is different than U.S. Air Force F sixteen F fifteen paint schemes. You got to I wanted to bring that out when I weathered this model. And to your point, Tracy, you talk about being able to zoom in further and further and further. Uh, you see models being done up with human element interaction. You see paint chips all the time at you know, wing roots of aircraft or door seals when the boots get in and chip the paint off. Um, what you see on a lot of airframe that may not be, um, may have been missed out is if you zoom in on, say, the tip of the, sorry, the, the, the trailing edges of flight control surfaces, for instance, the rudder on the CF-18. They're darkened areas that are not just this coloration of paint. They're actually pilots and ground crews going and you no, know, they'll move to control surfaces for pre-flight checks. And sometimes those areas get dirty with fingerprints. So when you zoom into specific areas that are weathered, it could be because of human interaction, either by flight crew or ground crew. And I wanted to bring that out. Um, the same reason I wanted to make footprints across the upper fuselage. Yeah, those were great. The empennage and the wings. So for that, I took a little 48 scale figure, carved out the the shoe, and I used that to imprint footprints across the top of the model. Yeah, you literally carved the waffle pattern into the shoe, into the bottom of the shoe, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I was bored one day and decided to do that. Insanity, (laughs) insanity. I bet you went and like looked at actual like shoes issued to the Canadian Air Force to make sure it's the right tread <laughs> and the right style. And... I, I I did Google up army boots and what <laughs> <they> looked like. <laughs> well, we've got about uh, we've got about uh, five or ten more minutes, so let's wrap it up with. Um, I think one key question is, you know, and this may be a silly question because, I mean, how much more can John Chung actually learn. Uh, but I, I think everybody's going to be curious to know if there's anything with this project that you learned that you're going to carry on down the, the road with you to your next project. Um, that's a very good question. I have not thought of that. 
<laughs> have you got the taste for weathering now? Oh yeah, I definitely it's, do. I, it's I, like I, crack. I, I, yeah. you, you know what though? Like I've always wanted to do dirty airplanes. Um, I've always wanted to do things like a dirty F fourteen. Um, but to 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 a question on what I've learned that will carry on is uh, you know sometimes it doesn't help. Oh, sorry, it it, it it doesn't hurt. It certainly helps to uh to 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 refresh myself on certain techniques. I'll, I'll tell you tell you a little boo-boo that I did. So there's a difference between deco softener and deco setter. So if you use deco let's say Mr. Deco setter, it's an adhesive. Yeah. Deco softener just softens the deco. Right. Well I I I uh I, I haven't painted anything for over a year and a half after working on the shuttle. So as I was applying the deco on the hornet I had that switched. I just, for some reason, forgot about it. And I melted three out of four sets of my CF-18 stencils before oh, I realized, oh, oh, oh. what is going on here? <laughs> so luckily, you know, the leading edge deco gives you four sets of stencils. So I you know I, I almost screwed the pooch on that. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it, it always... Um, it always pays to, to refresh myself to make sure that I have my, you know, T's crossed and I's dotted. Um, that that's that's one thing that I would that I will remember going forward. Well, I think it's great for everybody to hear that you are in fact human. Um, <laughs> you, you know, nobody's nobody. I make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> yeah, nobody's immune to that kind of stuff. All right, well, this this is good, um, good stuff. Uh, is there anything you'd kind of like to to just say, you know, sort of in closing about uh, you know about the project? Um. No, I I think I think that's pretty much covers it. I, I think one thing that I I like to um also also re, re, remind myself is is something that I talked about last time that I spoke with you guys that the whole like Barney the dinosaur analogy. <laughs> like I, I I think a lot of uh, a lot a lot of times I drive towards accuracy and I drive towards detail, um, but somewhere along the line I have to. Um, I have to know what works for me uh, from a practical standpoint, uh, both in resources as well as my own ability. Uh, I think John Bryan posted something very interesting recently about knowing yourself as a modeler. Mm -hmm. He tried scratch building. He just said that's not really his thing because he he really needs to – he has a goal of pumping out a certain number of models a year and spending six months scratch building on a single model just doesn't work for him. So if you look at my CF-18, I, I did a lot of scratch building for the canopy frame, for instance. But yeah, it's it amazing. Well, and the landing, oh yeah, it's a, I, it's a, oh I appreciate that, sorry. But it's it's a lot of work. It's a, something that I did not consider myself doing, uh, even just a month prior to that. Because if you look at my landing gear bay details, it was pure kit stock. I didn't add any brake lines, hydraulic uh, lines, wiring, and that sort. So knowing what I what my limits were going forward uh, for a particular project um, that that proved to be something that I think it's important uh, for myself and um, I, I think that's something that will also benefit other modelers going forward as well. Very cool, very cool. All right, Tracy, Chris, we're gonna hit him with anything else before we sign off? No, I mean. I- the only thing I would probably normally ask somebody after they've completed such an epic project is would they attempt such an epic project again? But John's about to step off 
of this epic project into a much more epic project. Right, so, to, get, to get back to the space shuttle. That he yeah. Was. Yes. For John, that was an amuse-bouche. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say that I really admired your, your, your ability to stay motivated. I mean, if I only had 15 minutes a night, I probably wouldn't do it. I'd probably just, you know, have a snack or go to bed or something instead. <laughs> the fact that you kept with it all the way is, is really impressive. It must have been difficult. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate that. It, it was challenging at times, but you know, it's, it's my second time technically going at this particular model. I just, I can't put it back on the shelf of Doom once again. So I think that helped. And uh, yeah, the, uh, the encouragement of uh, everyone here and, and uh, the people on, on the Facebook definitely helped quite a bit to keep me motivated to see it through. So I appreciate that. Well, you just look, you, you just make yourself so accessible to everybody. And, you know, <laughs> unless you get some, some guy like that, you know, clown that was in there the other day, you're always patient with people about answering questions. It's like every post is a, is a, you know, a lesson in whatever technique or the, you know, the, the subject that you're working on. And, uh, it's just, it, it's a great example. And, I think we all appreciate your contributions and I think everybody's going to be stoked to, you know, kind of get the inside scoop on the project. So thank you for taking the time to share it. Oh, no. well, thank, thank you very much. That's a very kind of you. Thank you for having me on again. It's a pleasure to talk to you guys once again and to share my Hornet project. Awesome. Thank you, John. Thanks, Joe. All right, Shane, man. Thanks for being patient. Appreciate it. Glad you could. Uh, we meet at yeah, last. We should. Yeah. We've talked about having you on a number of times, and it just hasn't it hadn't fit in with our schedule. But this won't be the last time. I already know that. Shane, welcome to the Sprue Cutters Union, and I'd like to start with an apology that we've not had you on before. But as we said, we'll get you <laughs> back sometime in the future. Uh, we are all huge admirers of your uh, Tamiya F4B. I remember when you got it, we were talking about it, and we talked maybe about doing a buddy build. And I've said this online, I'm really glad we didn't, because yours is awesome, and mine would have looked like a turd <laughs> next to it. So, I mean, but you've been working on it since it came out. Is that right? You got it pretty fast? Uh, it pretty shortly after it came out. Um, I'm not real great at keeping track of how much time I spend on stuff, but... Um, I was looking back at pictures. It took me about six months. Have you been working on a lot of stuff at the same time? Or? No, just that. That's quick. Yeah, you seemed like you were pretty pretty focused on yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't get a, a, a ton of time. I'm on the road a lot. And, um, mm. you know, when I'm at home, I like to just spend time with the family. So a little yeah. workaround to that is uh, I'll get up at like 4 a.m. usually. And then model for an hour, <laughs> hour and a half before I got to go to work. And then I'll get a couple extra hours on the weekend, but I'm, I'm pretty slow. And don't you also do some work on the road, like in hotel rooms too? Yeah, if I can. Yep. That's dedication. I don't think six months to, to churn out a model that good is slow, man. <laughs> no. Shit, I'd be happy if I could do something like that in six months. Yeah. And you're not the first person we've had on who gets up early before everybody else to squeeze a little modeling time in. Well, it's funny. My uh, my dad uh, got me into scale modeling. And, you know, he's, like, amazing at scratch building and stuff like that. Real old school stuff. And uh, that's what he would do. And when I was a kid, I was like, 
this guy's crazy. I, I, I don't even like to get up 15 minutes before I have to leave school. I like to get up five minutes before I got to leave to go to school. And it, it seems like as soon as I had my son, I just turned into my dad like overnight. Started getting <laughs> yeah. up really like that. You're, you're like that. You're like that uh, insurance commercial. Yeah. Yep. Chris has probably never seen it. It's this whole thing that they do. It's pretty funny about, you know, helping prevent customers from turning into their parents. <laughs> it's funny, though. As soon as you have a kid, you do. You, you, you know, you change overnight. It's uh, it's incredible how, how much it affects you. It's, it's also about, like, carving out that time. You know, like, I used mm. to come home and crack a beer and, and watch TV until I was tired and went to bed. And now I tend to I have a little iPad. And I'll sit at the bench and work on something for, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes after I get home from work until I get tired. And I feel like it's just all these little increments of time keep the model, you know, keep pushing it forward. So time management, I, I, if you want, if you want to do it and you don't have time to do it, you find, you make time to do it, you know. It's the Tamiya F4B but you also used quite a lot of Edward stuff on it. Is that right? Yeah. And um, I run the Edward group on, on Facebook, not their official uh, company group, but the kind of larger fan group. But, you know, you help me out with that quite a bit. And uh, I do like their stuff. It keeps you busy, doesn't but it? But it just, yeah. Yeah, no joke. It's gotten it's not better. as busy though. as it did yeah, before. It you, yeah, it's gotten better. You guys have done a great job of taking yeah, out the yeah. trash. Um, you have to hose it down a bit. Just a bit, though. I mean, it was, it was, well, we don't need to get into all that, but it seemed like just a couple, no, half dozen That's a people. whole other thing. And it was much better after that. Um, but I like their stuff a lot. Um, but I'm not like that guy that's just like, I'll use that even if other things are better or whatever. You know, um, it just kind of worked out that I really like a lot of their stuff that they made for this kit. And... Uh, as far as like the engines and, and the landing gear and stuff, it all fit really good. Um, so it didn't really take a whole lot of extra time to add that resin and the 3D printed stuff. It, it worked out pretty good. The, the time consuming part was uh, painting all the markings on and the masks. And that was the challenge with, with that model for sure. So which markings did you paint? Uh, everything except for the data stencils so all the the chess pieces and the stars and bars and all that it's all uh john colasante helped me out with that that's awesome i didn't realize that you painted the chess piece on there as well so that that's pretty pretty sophisticated masking at any scale but especially 48th well he did the hard part he he designed them and it's from the edward decal sheet that they make for that model and I don't know why I felt like I needed to paint them. I, I just have this thing that, like, I can't... I know that some people can weather decals to look, to blend in with the model. I just feel like if I can't chip them and fade them, and, and it doesn't look right. So I try to paint almost everything that I can. And I don't know if that's a shortcoming on my part or what, but it just... No, God, no, that's the, the smart way. I mean, just looking at the model, there's a lot. It's a, that's a lot of work, and it... It does pay off dividends, you know. The only letters that aren't uh, that aren't painted are the. Don't, don't tell anybody. 
are the ones that are a mystery for everybody to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's uh, there's some letters on there that are not painted that are decals. Ah, okay. And I for whatever you. reason, my machine just wouldn't cut them right. I don't know what the deal was. Me and John worked it. We, we did like four or five iterations, and they just came out wonky where other smaller more complex shapes came out fine but this particular one it just wouldn't do it it's a it's a weird thing and i have to say if if john couldn't figure it out it's probably not figure outable because that guy dude he's got more brain power in in his little finger than we have in this whole this whole crowd he he's and and just this is an aside but john is like the most helpful guy that never gets much attention in probably all of scale modeling. I mean, I've, I've known him for a few years and he's done a bunch of 3d printing for me. He's in my little 3d printing and fusion 360 brain trust. And you know, he doesn't say a lot, but when he does decide to talk, it's time to listen. I mean, he just, yeah, just a smart and helpful guy. Yeah. And he turned them out quick. Yeah. I, I, uh, he had the idea to start a little uh, just like a private Facebook chat group with a couple of guys and I've learned more from him in the last you know couple of weeks <laughs> I mean he, you're right he's just he's brilliant he's super helpful I mean I tried to compensate him for helping me with those masks and he just wouldn't have it just a good guy uh, can I ask you about the radome because that's really nicely chipped and faded how did you do that so I wasn't going to get into that. Uh, I kind of noticed that most of the Navy early Phantoms don't really have that black chipping. And I was kind of bummed about it. So I initially just was going to paint it radome mm. tan. And and I don't remember what state I got to. And I don't remember if I actually got it tan. I think I did. And then I ended up finding a couple pictures of it um, chipped up like that. Uh so I went back and decided I was going to go for it and I painted it black and, um, that's just normal hairspray chipping on that. Uh, I just sprayed it black, put white on top of it. And then the radome tan, which I got to thank Tracy for that. He helped me out big time. My, my MRP radome tan was like this, like peach color. It was like very red. And I don't know, I've seen other one people that have used it and it looks great, but mine was like red. And I'm sitting here staring at my color wheel, trying to figure out how to knock this peach color back. And for whatever reason, <laughs> I'm just like looking one, you know, pie square off on my chart. And I'm using some other color and it just looks like shit. And, and so I hit up Tracy about it because I know that he's smart with color. And uh, he's like, oh, well, you got to add uh, blue green. And I look and I'm looking at it and I'm like, Oh yeah, it just yeah, clicked. that would help. And so I, I actually added a little bit of MIG, uh, MIG cockpit blue green. That what do they call it? Emerald green, and just a little half a half a drop, and it knocked it right back. And then from there, I just uh, I I wanted to sand it down to expose the white. And then once I got a lot of white going on there, I I chipped it back to expose the black and. And I agree, it was it was not a complicated thing, but it is one of my favorite parts on that one. You've done the chips quite well, though. I mean, 
it's easy, particularly with hairspray, to to just get carried away and do it in great big gobs. But this looks really, you know, it to me it looks convincing, and the tan fade to the white is very subtle and very nice. Well, and the 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 hairspray chipping voodoo worked out on my side this time. Um, I've been winding up with like these round chips lately, and uh, sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. But this time it worked out on my side, so. I see those occasionally and, and I've never been able to figure out why it's, it's a weird thing, but you do a lot of, you do a lot of sanding too, right? I, I want to make sure people pick up on that. Yeah. I, uh, I think that that works the best. Uh, even if you do the hair, you know, put hairspray down under it, if you sand it back a little bit and then start your chips, uh, cause I mean, if you look in real life, you're never going to see, well, you might see it, but it's not going to be 100% of the time, uh, that like paint to exposed metal with a sharp edge. It it happens if something like flies up and hits it and just busts it, you know, chip a paint off. But typically you're going to see a fade. And I think it's real important to, to capture that. So I like to sand it back and thin out that layer quite a bit and then try and you know, expose some of the silver underneath. Well, you work around heavy equipment all day, every day. So you see a lot of these weathering effects in real life. And I kind of have always felt like that paint chips off of metal or whatever the substrate is, but it tends to fade and abrade off of other paint. Do you, do you think that holds true? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and uh, another thing that I've been kind of studying a lot lately is the way that like oil will stain paint. Uh, like you can get a little bit of oil on some old paint, especially old paint, and you try and wipe it off and it, it'll never come off. It like just discolors it. And uh, I have a buddy that works for a company called, uh, I think it's Aces High. Anyway, they do the like... Uh, adversary training for the air force they got a bunch of ex-jordanian f5s and so they refurbish them and then they uh, get contracts to fly them against the air force guys and i was uh taking a tour around his shop and i was seeing that on on these jets where you could see where oil might have spilled you know 10 years ago and it's still like discolored on the paint so i've been looking at uh different ways to recreate that too i mean do you how well how are your what are the most successful ways to recreate that that you found? Are you just basically kind of fucking around with the uh, a slightly darker version of the paint tone? Yeah, and that's usually what it ends up being too. Uh, you know, if you could, uh, <laughs> if you could find a way, like you know how when you're doing oil, uh, you know, some oil painting on on a really matte surface. And you get some thinner on there and it just discolors the surface for a minute. If you could just get it to stay that way, it would be like perfect. Yeah. But, yeah. It's yeah. like the thin, when the thinner evaporates yeah. completely, that cool effect just disappears right before your very eyes. You're yep. like, damn it. So I wonder if a paint medium would alone would do that. You know, you get some of the, the heavier... Um, gels and things like that and dryers 
like Japan dryer and things like that. I wonder if something like that on a matte surface would. I think it's worth stain. a shot. I know uh, my wife does oil painting and, and she knows a lot about that stuff and has a bunch of it. Um, I think that would definitely be worth a shot. I know what you're talking about. Uh, I've never like done any actual oil canvas painting, so I'm not really familiar with all the, the different chemicals and stuff, but I've seen it before. It's There's a couple of different ones and they're like a thick, goopy, like caramel colored gel usually, right? Yeah. Yeah, and there's, I mean, it's a bunch of shit that I bought whenever I was doing a lot of oil painting thinking that i needed it and then just never fucking yeah, yeah her teacher made her buy it and um, i've never seen her get it out <laughs> yeah so i've got bottles of that stuff that are probably you know two dozen years old who knows what they're really like but you know linseed oils and stand oils and japan dryers and things like that maybe it's just a matter of having a really really thin glaze i mean almost like the like I have a, a jar of mineral spirits that I use for cleaning all my brushes and it's always got, it's just always kind of gunky looking. And I always look at that and think, I, there's gotta be a way I can use, you know, use that. Ah, like the trash gray. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. How did you do the stains on the panels on this one? Uh, the lines as it were, you know? Well, that was a combination of um, just uh, like, pre-shading and oil paints uh but that was i kind of redid that a couple of times i wasn't really happy with the colors i was getting um but yeah it's uh not a lot of fancy pants stuff going on there it was just some pre-shading and messing around with um different colors to to get the right tone uh it's kind of like neither a real warm or cool gray it's a really neutral color and and it seemed like when I was putting the light gold gray, which from MRP is a really warm, uh, kind of grimy gray color. Like I, I thought mine was like not right at first. I ended up buying another bottle of it cause I was like, this is yellow. Um, <laughs> but I just needed to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Throwing something warm on top of something neutral. Yeah. So I had to go and, and just mess with it a little bit, but, um, I always kind of have been struggling with, you know the color theory and and i think that i figured out a lot of my problems on this one and i just don't go heavy enough you know um it, it seems like i get the under you know the the layering right it's just when i go to cover on top of it i'm i'm too worried to cover up that work and so i don't go heavy enough uh, but i think that's a mistake i've been making because it seems like if i just kept going with this one and uh, another thing that was real key was kind of doing what uh, Matt McDougall does with his, you know, several layers of blend layers and, and uh, what do you call them? Like marbling layers. And um, Tracy calls it driving all the way around the block to park at your neighbor's house. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I, and I think that uh, a lot of times that is the case, especially the way I do it. <laughs> I feel that way too. That was fun. It's why I've sort of shifted more and more towards post shading. Yeah, I, and and that it was a lot of that on this too. I, I, like I was saying, I think I wasted a lot of time on on the marbling and all that all that stuff because I ended up just getting it ninety percent of the way, airbrushing those lines on, and then just doing a little thin coat on top of it. So. 
circling the ass to get to the hole is the way we would put it. (laughs) (laughs) And a new catchphrase is bored. (laughs) That, this is one of those episodes where people are going to be pulling over to take notes. (laughs) That's up there with a bee's dick. (laughs) Oh, yeah, the bee's dick. And that's a unit of time. Is that right? A bee's dick is a unit of time? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we've really amped up the technical descriptions here lately. Have we talked about the uh, measure of distance? The And I don't know uh, <laughs> if we, this is... A... Yeah, we know the one you're referring to. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> well, we, know, we all okay. know a lot of Australian people, so... Well, you know what I love about this project, Shane, is that I, you know, I've watched you from day one. Like, I think you and I met arguing about sprue nippers, what, two, three years ago. And you impressed me because you were willing to engage that debate on a very non-personal level. And like, it was clear to me that you wanted to figure out what was best. Like, you know, that's what was important to you. And I was like, okay this is a guy who would fit in well in SMCG and, and you came in and I don't think I've seen anybody just wholesale embrace techniques and be willing to, to experiment and fail if necessary. And, you know, just really push the boundaries in all directions as I've seen with you. And I I love it, man. It, it, It makes me feel sort of like a proud papa. Uh, every time I see your work. So <laughs> it's good shit, man. It's beautiful work, man. I appreciate that. You guys like, I appreciate that a lot. I, I have like uh, a really gnarly case of imposter syndrome uh, and it's getting better <laughs> all the time, but uh, I, th- I just kind of clicked with, with you and your guys's group. And, and, uh, and I think it has a lot to do with, like what you said, just finding out what's best and not necessarily what you think is going to be best or what you like the best, but what just objectively works. You know what I'm saying? And I I do, I, I think that, I don't know. I don't want to say nobody, but a lot of people I know and, and myself included, we can be objective, but if something works, doesn't work out or you get insulted or whatever, it still hurts a little bit. Like we do care. I care about my, you know, about my work, but at the same time, it's really important to be objective. And if it just didn't work, it didn't work. And I think that being able to separate my feelings about my work from the way it actually looks has been just key. You know what I mean? And on top of that, like we've all encountered internet assholes, but especially in SMCG, <laughs> like I've always just yeah. been, I don't know. I've never felt uh, insulted or attacked or like somebody was being unfair. Um, I've had people that I thought were wrong about what they were saying, but never like it didn't have to get into a fight. So, and just having a good group of people like um, Steve Baker, man, he's a huge help. I, r- I run everything by that guy. I think he's another one that just doesn't get the recognition that he deserves because he just. I think maybe because he doesn't put out a lot of work, uh, he's pretty like actually slow. Whereas I just think I am. He's actually pretty slow, but he's got a really demanding job too. And uh, I run everything by him, and he gives me tons of help. He looked at probably a thousand pictures of this uh, phantom throughout the process. So 
well, his work is good, and uh, and his stories about being an F fifteen pilot are also really good, and you know that mm-hmm. speaks to what we've talked about before on the show of having a group of really trusted people that you can bounce stuff off of and kind of curating your feedback. It's cool to have people who are enthusiastic about your work and appreciate, you know, every time you, you, you shoot them a picture of like the next step or the latest, here's what I got done yesterday. And they're always like, fuck yeah, man, that looks great. Like having that encouragement to keep you going. Um, because again, it's a solitary hobby. You're, you're sitting at your bench by yourself, but then having that other handful of people who are like, man, I'm, it's looking good, but you, you're going to fix this, right? You're, you're going to, you're going to attend to that, right? The people who won't let you go, you know, cause there's a handful of yeah. those for me too. I've got, I've got a couple like European guys and part of it's like, I think like, fuck, is that translation or is it just like European bluntness where they're like, this looks great, but you're going to fix those markings, right? You're going <laughs> to fix that crooked, the crooked Balkan cruise. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am Are- now. I'm, I'm seeing that now. The East Europeans are great for that. They're just like, yeah, but no. Are those fasteners <laughs> supposed to be uh, offset? Legitimate question. I'd never seen them before. I don't model if aircraft. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to have those people too, right? Well, I, I, I surround myself with those people. I don't, I don't like yes men, you know? Um, that's just the, I, I've had a couple people that i connected with online that felt like yes men to me and they're good people i talked to them but as far as like running my work by them uh, i i don't really need that you know i need somebody that's going to be honest and and john and all three of you guys and steve are those people for me so that's the way i like to roll nice well what's on the horizon now like now that this is finished do you have another one ready to go or are you going to have to do a little consideration before you open another box uh i'm i'm gonna do a couple palette cleansers um i'm working on a on a mark 5 spitfire right now um a palette cleanser build for me still means a resin engine and open uh gun bays <laughs> and all that stuff but uh, uh not painting all the markings and spending six months on it you know that's a palette cleanser for me uh there there is a couple things i want to get to but I've just kind of stopped trying to plan my stuff because it never works out anyway. I I always think, oh, I'm going to, as soon as I get this done, I'm going to build that. And then by the time that is ready, I've moved on to the next thing. And uh, there's a couple things I want to get to, but I'm just going to have to see, see what pops up next because I'm not really sure. This one was, uh, it was good. Like it just went good the whole time. I I had to redo some things and um, fix stuff and got a little bogged down from time to time. But really, it just went smooth. And um, I, that's such an amazing kit. I, I was blown away with the way it fits. I I've actually only built one other Tamiya jet, and it was a, like three years ago. So it's been it was a lot of fun. Um. I'm thinking probably a Tomcat. They don't make enough jets, though, really. No, they don't. Uh, and and it's kind of a bummer. You know, you, I'd like to see them make everything that I love. But, it, I mean, <laughs> if they keep building them, I'll keep, uh, I'll keep buying them. Like this one. I, I've never been into the Phantom. I, um, 
I was not a, like a phantom freak or anything like that. I just heard that it was like the ultimate 148 jet right now. So I was like, oh, I'll check it out. Uh, and I loved it. So, I mean, whatever they come out with, I'll probably, I'll probably build it. Well, you clearly gave it a lot of love, man. And it's, uh, it's a really impressive piece of work. And we appreciate you taking the time to come on and, and share with us, you know, your, your thoughts on the project. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, whenever you guys want to talk, I'll, I'll make myself available. It's always a good time. Well, you got your recording studio right there. Right there in your work truck. <laughs> this, <laughs> yeah, this is a this is a first for SMCG to have a guest recording from his from his vehicle. Yeah, great sound quality. Oh, you mean you well, mean Spruce cool. Cutters Union? Spruce what, what did I say? Yeah. Shit! What did I? Yeah. Oh, you know yeah. what you said. You I know don't, what you said. No, I. <laughs> no, I really do not. Yeah, it's yeah. Damn. Where's yes. your? Uh, have you gotten first the SMCG spru- tattoo yet? <laughs> yeah, that was. I think Will is uh, the band. Yeah, let's myself. give Will a twenty-four first, hour mute. First Sprue Cutters Union <laughs> guest. Damn. Yeah, and I've actually had coffee this morning. Anyway, <laughs> we love you, Shane. We're glad you're here, and we're going to well, have thanks, you back. Guys, for, I love you have guys. You back for real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah, and I, I'll probably just do Thank it in my Shane. truck again. I mean, if it sounds good. <laughs> we may all. We may all start doing it from our truck. <laughs> <laughs> that goes back to you know just doing what works rather than what you think might work there you go there you go oh it's a new solutions box you know literally <laughs> I, you know if this i is one of those uh, times where you fuck around and find out and it's good yeah. oh yeah <laughs> we just got to figure out how that is represented on the graph <laughs> that's an outlier ignore it all right. Well, thanks again, Shane. Good stuff. We are we're trying to stick to our time limit, so so we're gonna we gotta we gotta cut it off there. But good stuff, and like I said, we're looking forward to having you back, man. Yeah, looking forward to seeing what you're gonna work on next too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm sure you guys will see my Spitfire whether you want to or not, and um, <laughs> that one's gonna be done by January, no matter what. So. All right, and I'm going to get back to work. Awesome. They're probably wondering where I'm at, so I will uh, hang up, and we'll talk to you guys all later. All right, thank you. All right, all right. Thanks, Thanks, Take care. David, thank you for joining us. We, we wanted to have you on to talk about um, the feelings and, and thoughts you might have of your after completing your monumental 116 scale Panzer IV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, yeah, there's feelings. Yeah, definitely one of relief. I think that's probably the, the overwhelming one. Um, well, just to set the stage, because there, I, I mean, there may be like one percent of our listeners who don't understand what we're about to talk about. This is a project that took you seven years. Is that right? Yeah, a little over. Yeah, um, and it's a one sixteenth scale i'm gonna get it wrong yep you are you are <laughs> so back seven years ago trumpeter trumpeter released a 16th scale panzer 4 h is their first they've since, since released a few other panzer fours but that was the first one that came out um and followed on from their king tigers and various other releases that they'd done with with a sort of full interior 
Um, and I could see straight away that what they gave you inside it was fairly uh, basic, shall we say? You know, kind of rough things in, but lacked on If you want to be polite. Well, <laughs> you know, I, t- I, I take my hat off to them a little bit because as I discovered, finding out information about the inside of these things is really, really not that easy. And they they did they did a fair job, I think, with, with what they had. And I can see the bits they really struggle with. For example, the engine bay is a real mess. And that's because the, the vehicles that still have engines in, most of them, the turrets are sort of seized up. And so you can't open the engine deck hatches, so you can't get a look in the, the engine bay. So, um, you know, they piece together bits and pieces. And um, consequently, it just looks, that's what it looks like. It's a, it's a rough idea um, rather than anything um, that, that I was going to be happy with. And um, whereas the outside of the vehicle, they've done really quite a good job on. And... Um, they got most of it pretty spot on and, and, and there's a lot of nice features there. So it's really, I think, you know, it'd be easy for me to hear, to sit here and sort of be critical of, of the kit. But I think, you know, when you look at what you get and what you pay for it, it's, it's really pretty good, you know, as a, as a basis. Um, but following on what I'd done with the King Tiger, where I sort of went back and decided to sort of fix all the things that, that I wasn't happy with, um, and I, when this arrived, I thought well, it's probably not going to take me anywhere near as long to do this because <laughs> famous that. last words. It was, a, it was a, obviously a foolish thing to say. Um, <laughs> and as I got, as a, the more I got into it, the more I realised the sort of monumental task that that lay ahead. Really, so it was, uh, and that was not just in just in sort of terms of building the thing um, step by step, but more even just in the research required to do that. Um, there is very, very, if you, do a, a, if you do a Google search for images of the insides of Panzer IVs, you'll draw very little information. Um, and then you've got to work through what's, what's museum, what's original, what's missing. Um, so, it, you know, it's, and I've, not to mention different versions, I guess. And yeah, like and that. different versions and then production changes and all these sorts of things that, that just serve to sort of make life even more interesting than, than it would have been to start with. So, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a, complicated, a complicated area when you get onto the inside of these things. Um, um, and if, it was, if I'd just been building a sort of regular model of the outside of you know, what it looked like from the outside. I'd have probably had it finished in six months or something. But um, so, yeah, the majority of the work was fixing the interior. And it's such a big journey that you started out hand scratching stuff, yeah. learnt CAD and finished up designing it in 3D. Yeah. Um, I, I was just saying, uh, I was just saying to Mark the other day, there was a, uh, I took a part out of the, um, off the printer that it's now part of our correction part range. And uh, I remember that wasn't a very complicated piece. It was a little frame that held a couple of vision blocks for the driver's visor. And um, uh, I spent 
quite some time making one out of um, scrap brass and folding all these edges and things. It was, really wasn't that easy to make out of brass, but there wasn't really any other way of making it that I could see. And then I was quite pleased with my results, but then I drew one in 3D and printed it, and it just wiped the floor with what I'd, what I'd done. <laughs> <laughs> and was just superior in so many ways. I, I I didn't use it. I switched over, and that was kind of one of the turning points, I think. And it came around. It came along, maybe at the right time for me. I don't know. Um, certainly helped uh, on the closing stages. Probably what the last eighteen months of the project were. Were I was starting to introduce elements like that, but uh, the previous six and a half years were all or five and a half years was all sort of traditional, um, traditional built, uh, scratch built, um, a little bit of resin casting here and there. Um, yeah. And a little bit of assistance from one or two friends along the way as well. You feel, you feel like the, uh, the, you said that you feel like 3d came along at the right time. Did it, was your enthusiasm flagging, uh, for the project and then did it, kind of reinvigorate your interest in, in enthusiasm and pushing it ahead? No, because I think I've managed to maintain enthusiasm for it right the way through. Um, and I'm not quite sure how, how that happened. Or, yeah. Uh, obviously part of that is having to, because I was serializing it in the magazine, then, then there was always that necessity to have generated more content so that keeps you that keeps you going but i like a lot of my, my projects i i tend to have in my mind's eye a vision of what what it's going to look what it will look like when it's finished and i was quite excited about what this was going to look like and so i think that drove me on as well although now it's finished i've had an absolute i've just collapsed i haven't really i've done no modeling for uh well, since June, since I, since I finished it, I've just been have no in, sort of inspiration to do anything at all, really. So, um, and, and maybe that's that's understandable after after pushing through with something like that. And certainly the last the last push when I was trying to get it ready for uh, World World Model Expo was definitely a bit fraught because there seemed to be a never ending list of little snags and things that I had to. I keep looking over, over to the thing because it's just in the cabinet. My... <laughs> That's how I feel after a project. <laughs> it takes me seven months, so I can only imagine <laughs> after seven years. You, you need a bit of a break and a bit of a, a refresh. So I'm not stressing about that, but I'm immensely proud of it now it's finished. You know, I feel it very much justifies all the all the effort I put into it in that I don't think I know, I know that I know there's a couple of mistakes in it. I know there's a couple of little errors and or things that probably sh I should go back and change, but I'm probably not going to, because I'll probably mess things up if I do that. But it feels like very much uh, the culmination of my modeling abilities. I suppose I don't think I could do any more than, than that. You know, that's the absolute pinnacle as far as I'm concerned, anyway, of what I can achieve. Well, I, yeah, I think you're, I think you should, I mean, look, you should be proud. There's, 
in every art form, there are, you know, works that people feel are sort of seminal to that particular artist. Like they sort of define that artist's legacy. Mm. And I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah. Think about, think about any of the famous paintings that we know or think like in, mo- in the model making sphere, people will talk about, oh, you remember when Adam Wilder built that tank or Mike Rinaldi built that tank. Yeah. This is going to be one of those things. And I mean, most model makers labor their entire lives without ever even coming close to that. And you, this is going to be one of those things that people will talk about decades from now. Remember David Parker's Panzer IV? I don't know about that, but it'd be nice. It's I nice do. To think, I'm certain nice, of it. It'd be nice to think that might be the case, but I'm yeah. certain of it. This yeah. is one of those pieces, and you're being far too modest. <laughs> but I built it. I didn't. I built it for my, for me. You know, I didn't build it as a mm. for anybody else. I built it to be what I wanted it to be, and to be the best it could be by my standards, and. I, I feel like I've pretty much achieved that. Um, I don't, as I say, I know there's, a, there's there's certainly one little error inside, but I'm when I look at it now, I, it doesn't. There's nothing there that jumps out at me. I wish that makes me think, oh, I need to go back and fix that or tweak that. Or, and I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good sign. Um, you know, I'm ready to move on now and 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 look at something else in the sort of knowledge that that is now fixed you know it's it is what it is and it will sit there now until whenever um so yeah and that's and and that's after seven and a half years that's a good that's a good feeling or seven years three months or whatever it was 14 days i forget now um (laughs) but uh yeah no it's 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 been a culmination of a lot of you know a lot of work and a lot of but also a lot of collaboration as well. You know, you don't mm. you don't get all this information in sing, singularly. You know, I couldn't find all the things I, I needed to find myself. People would chip in with bits of information or a photograph or a something they'd taken years ago and they dug out for me or you know, and that that was so, so valuable because often they were contributing, you know, the missing piece to the puzzle that you were looking for. Or, you know, like I had way before I was into um, 3D design, my, my good friend Don Campbell, who's a CAD designer, um, took on the challenge of designing a, the new engine for me. And, um, you know, that that was something that would have... Uh, was very daunting to scratch build. I mean, I ended up manually adding a lot of the sort of finer detail to it myself, but just to get that basic shape and structure and the and the you know the, the kind of the overall mass of the thing there was was a huge help. And you know, there were other little bits like uh, another friend, Graham Trotter, who is very skilled with the lathe, and he turned a couple of the hand wheels I needed and the body of the motor housing for the turret traverse and things like that. That again, there's a similar parts that I have scratch built within the kit. But if you can use a lay, if you you can turn something on a lathe, you're going to get a much better result than you are trying to sort of build it traditionally with rulers and scalpels and things. 
So it's been a collaborative project as well from that point of view. And, um, you know, and even just to people who have, you know, joined in the conversation where I've been pondering about what some, you know, often with the, with the inside of this vehicle, when you see it, see them now in, you know, in, in their preserved state, things have been ripped out. So you get the mounting points for some fixture that's no longer there and you have to try and work out what might have fitted there. And people have sort of, you know, thrown out suggestions for those things or, or you know, and or even come up with a photo showing what that was. And that's been immensely helpful as well because you, it's easy to convince yourself that you, you've worked it out and you know what you're, you know, you've, you've solved that problem. And then somebody else comes up with, sort of with another idea completely and you think, oh, actually, that makes more sense than mine. Um, Thank goodness for rivet counters, right? <laughs> absolutely yeah i'm happy to talk about that if you want but <laughs> yeah well i have a question for you david mm. I, I i think one of my i mean the result is amazing but i'm honestly probably too ignorant to really appreciate all of it but my favorite thing about it has been watching you evolve your techniques you know from traditional scratch building and through Fusion 360, 3D printing, and and even into using ZBrush, which still just is astonishing that you've taken to it so well and, and, and you're doing such cool stuff. But what's your favorite part about this whole project? What's my favorite part? I think I've got, if I'm allowed two favorite parts, because I think I'd have trouble choosing you're allowed anything you want, man. <laughs> One is the, the radio operator's position where you've got the radio racks and then sort of just behind his seat, you've got the power transformers that supply the power for the radios. And you've got this jumble of cables that connect the two and you've got all the wires connecting all the radio sets together and the and the headphones plugged into them and the um, the Morse key and all these things and then hanging over the top of that you've got the the bow machine gun um and i think it's such a complicated area um and when i think when you see it in the flesh you you know trying to kind of it's not so much modeling the individual elements of that is not a big not a big challenge what is the challenge is getting it fitting it all in that space in an order that allows you to paint it and weather it and make the whole thing completely convincing that's that's always the challenge with these with these things is uh, is that sequence how do i get this in here so that i don't cause a problem two weeks later when i suddenly realize something else has to go in behind it so so there's that area, just because it's so crowded and so um, fussy, I really like that. And the other bit that's, that I really love is is the breach of the, the gun, um, because uh, I managed to get the sort of the polished steel effect on the breach, where I actually, I was, I convinced myself it was actually sort of what it was supposed to be. And I think um, 
that area is particularly successful because of that. And then there's all this sort of chipped paint around the frame around the breech as well. And again, it's another really complicated area. You've got a coax machine gun next to it. You've got on the other side, you've got the gunner's sight uh, and there's little placards and, and things. And it's all just, it's just fantastically fussy and intricate. And that's what I really like about it. And it just looks to me, to my eye anyway, and maybe maybe people will disagree, but to me, it looks like the real thing. It looks like reality. And that's what I'm always striving for. You know, it's not, a, you know, and I've tried to do that right the way through the project. You know, it'd be so easy just to go in and put a dark pin wash over everything, but that's not, that's mm. not, that won't do it. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't, create reality yeah it pulls all the detail out for you but so those are my those are my real hot spots the engine bay to a lesser extent as well um again it's just an incredibly complicated thing with pipes running in all directions and cables and electrical connections and and just fitting all that into it's like uh, most of this project is you're working in, into a in an open top box in effect because you're just trying to fit things into these into this space uh, and things are in and out and dry fitted so many times to make sure that they they actually do what what you want them to do um yeah it's just one of those things that you can sit and stare at it almost endlessly because everywhere you look there's a detail that's been rendered faithfully i mean it looks like the real thing mm. I, 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 I how did you do the metal finish on the inside of the breach um that's a, <laughs> uh, i'm trying to remember how did i do i began obviously <laughs> if you want a good metal finish you've got to have super shiny plastic so that was all polished mm. to a shine before i even thought about introducing any paint I think, if I remember correctly, I I went with a with a, a a gloss black or a very shiny black um, base coat. Um, then I would have sprayed. I think I went with Alclad steel on top, and then I think the finishing touch was um, my favourite uh, AK True Metal paste, which was then buffed over the top, um, which really sort of brings it alive and brings that shine to it. I may be wrong um, because it's probably two years since I did that now, so I'm, I'm just going from memory, but uh, I think that's what I did. Yeah, but I also had to carefully mask because the breach is part bare metal and part um, Elfenbein um, ivory-coloured paint, so... It wasn't as straightforward as just sort of treating the whole the whole thing as a as an as in one one effect like that. So I had to, I had to, and and I'm always always very nervous about masking over bare metal finish for obvious reasons. Um, so I think, if I remember right, I think I sprayed the ivory first and then went back and did the, the bare metal on top of uh, after that so well just to so 
to make sure everybody knows if if you if 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 people have questions about the specifics, you had an installment of this every month, right? In AFV modeler for the entire length of the project, is that right? Yeah, every um, other month. Yeah, every, yeah, every issue. Every other month. Yeah. Um, and you can, and even yeah. if you weren't a subscriber, you can go download all of those uh, in PDF Individually, format. From the AF. And yeah, I'm also hoping to pull all this together into um, a book as well. So, <clears throat> oh, that um, would be fantastic. So yeah. it will, as well as my kind of, as well as sort of the content that's already been in the magazine, which is also sort of expanded a bit because I've got a bit more, a degree more space anyway. Um, uh, mm. I'm also pulling together my kind of um, extensive walk around material as well, um, and sort of so so half of the book will be my build, and the other half will be what I've learned about the, the vehicle. Because in the course of this, I I uncovered quite a few things that I don't think anybody really knew before um, about. The differences in the vehicles, the way certain things were installed, um, and certainly where certain things went within it as well. And to be honest, there's still a couple of things in there that we we still don't know where they go, um, and I haven't put them in for that reason. Um, uh, so, you know, it remains a little bit of an enig- an enigma in in that respect. But um, as I say, there's. Uh, you know, it's it's tiny details, but it's things like different factories are fitting the instrument panel in different, slightly different positions on top of the gearbox and securing it in a different way, and and things like that. And uh, so there's there's a whole list of little bits of information like that. That if you if you are going full rivet counter on it, then that's what you need. You know, that's the information you need. So. Um, I was going to say, I'm, I'm really glad you're doing that because I think the research alone was a Titanic project yeah. and was a major yeah. achievement, I think, you know, separate from the model. Yeah, I feel that's the bit, in a way, that's the bit of the book I'm probably most excited about, in a way, because, because mm. you know, although there's expanded content on the build, most, you know, everybody's, if you've already followed along, you know, most of it will be fairly familiar to you. Um so I think it's it's certainly the the reference element of it is probably um, something I'm finding quite exciting. But actually, it's an it's an utter and Chris will appreciate this. It's an utter nightmare to to lay it out in some sort of logical sequence, um, and also to find um, find the correct picture to sort of illustrate what you what you're trying to show. Um, because although I was lucky enough to sort of examine a reasonable, well, say reasonably, a preserved uh, example of, uh, of an H, um, it had a lot of bits missing from it, and it was in pretty shocking condition inside. Um, and there is no, there is no complete example. They're all being messed around with. Um, the more complete ones tend to be the ones that were used after the war and they've been modified by the Czechs who rebuilt them and then various other people after that so mm. uh, that's a bit of a minefield for the for the, the unwary as well so um, but hopefully we can sort of find our way through that 
and sort of try and put some sort of um, cohesive story through, you know, through these pictures and showing what happened. And uh, it frustrates me no end that these these thirty visco kits have come out have uh, done that thing where they they've put they've put misinformation out there, and now it's become sort of taken as gospel that you know even in just in terms of their colors that they've that they give and their color guides mm. are wrong and uh, everybody building them just follows the guide you know and why wouldn't you because you you take that as if you don't know any you got no no other information you know you tend to follow what what's supplied in the kit um, but it's a little bit frustrating to see that happening yeah when the real information's out there well, yeah, because I can, I know full well they copied my model in making the kits, um, and I know that because they've copied my mistakes. <laughs> uh, and they've also, and they obviously made them before I'd finished my model, so they've put, you know. So, mm. for example, um, I forget which company it is now, but one of them, none of the kits, none of their H kits has any means of traversing the turret. It's just not there. Because I hadn't built that. Because you hadn't done I the Tversky yet. <laughs> um, so I know wow. they, I know they've copied me, but then they've, you know, had they got in touch with me and asked me, I would have gladly shared my information with them, and then, and you know, it could have been, it could have been much better, um, and colours could have been right. But there, there you go. They've obviously done what they've done. I mean, I, you know, it's flattering, it's flattering that it, that it's been copied, but I would have. I'd much prefer the all the 30 Visco kits to be as accurate as they could be. One of the things that, that I kind of wanted to ask, I'm going to miss seeing the serialized build from you, but from, from anyone else, because I feel like, you know, as we were talking about before we started recording, articles can be so so repetitious um, mm -hmm. and so sort of general. Like, mm -hmm. you know, the, the general steps that people take to finish their models are not dissimilar one from the other. Um, so I really enjoyed the serialization of, of how you were creating these details and how you were solving these problems on this, this big build. So I'm definitely going to miss that. But do you think that's something that could be brought back in some way? I'd like to think so, Tracy. I think um, I don't, I mean, I've got, I'm well aware that I've got a, a large 30 second scale Lancaster kit sitting at work waiting for me to turn my attention to it and i'm a little embarrassed that it's been sitting there for three or four months and i haven't really done anything with it um but i'm just not in that headspace at the moment to to begin something like that um the b17 took took me two years to build so um but yes i think i think so um i like in case you hadn't realized, I do like this scale. <laughs> and I'm finding other scales now really, in, yeah, I can't really tolerate them, to be honest. I find them too, too fiddly and small. And, you know, and, and there's so much more scope with these. Um, so I, there, will be a, there will be something else, I'm sure. Um, I can't quite face, I mean, people have, have asked me, am I going to do a panther and, 
And whilst I really like the Panther, I don't know whether I want to... It's probably a bit too much like the King Tiger inside to be something I want to do at the moment. I don't know. Um, uh, You're not tempted by the Sherman? I am tempted by the Sherman. I'm tempted a lot by it. Because you've done some stuff for it already, haven't you? Yeah. No, I've just... And in fact, I've just got the Addy, the Andy's Hobbies kit arrived mm. today. Um, and mighty impressive it is too. I really of the of that and the the other the other sixteen scale Sherman kits. That's definitely from what I've looked at in a brief sort of examination of the sprues. Certainly looks like the better kit. Um, uh, whether I want to fit out in a full interior on it, I hadn't really thought about doing that. I had thought about. I mean, it, that one comes with a breech, but the other two kits don't come with a breech, and those are—it's got some enormous hatches on the on the turret, so you really need something inside that turret for it to sort of function in this scale. I think whether I'll do that mm. and whether I'll do the whole thing—I I can't quite see that at the moment. Um, but I, I don't know. Um, uh, it's obviously a lot easier now because those things have been done well done in 35th scale so there's there's in terms of sort of there's less of a job with reference but it's that's a lot of cad work producing an interior for for a sherman um but who knows you know maybe maybe that'd be quite fun um uh problem is it's a slippery slope though because if you can see the breach you can see the turret floor and if you can well, you can see, see the, the floor, radios. You can probably see the back of the seat and yeah you can see the radios and then you know, so I, th- I th- certainly thought I'd do a set of radios for the for the turret bustle, mm. but yeah, no, it is it it is a little bit. Um, it's where do you draw the line? Um, and I've had that problem with the big big stug to do, to a degree as well. You know, um, that's a that's another vehicle where you can easily lift the roof off, and then um, you've got a pretty well pretty uninterrupted view of the in, of the interior from the firewall forward. So. Um, and I like to think I've done a reasonable job in sort of um, resolving a lot of that now, so that if people want to add all that detail, then they then they can. Um, even though one of the kits comes with a sort of partial interior, I've tried to fill some of the some of the bits they missed as well. So, but yeah, it's. Uh, I think another. I think I enjoy doing the serialized things, and I have a sense from the feedback that people enjoy following them as well even if they're not going to build the model because yeah. i think they enjoy watching the the struggle <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i'm i'm never going to build a panzer four in any scale but just watching the craftsmanship is fantastic yeah that, that's it it's not the struggle it's the craftsmanship it's the problem solving that we get to see kind of in a more step-by-step way than you ever get from an article yeah i think so and, and, and it's also been I, I try and be honest about things as well so if you make a if everything goes horribly wrong, then I show it going horribly wrong. Yeah, <laughs> because I think that's just as important as as the f- the kind of the fancy finished thing as well. You know, the mistakes you make along the way, and the fact that you're prepared to do something about it, um, or that you have to go back to the beginning and start all over again um, on occasion. It's all part of sticking with it, isn't it? You know, that's. That's the nature of what we of what we're doing, is um, not just not sheer bloody mindedness. Yeah, not just just 
refusing to be satisfied with something that you know mm. really deep down you're not satisfied with. Right. If you can do better, then do better. Yeah. You kind of find yourself thinking it, it, it'll it do, but it, what's the point in doing all this effort if you're going to settle for it'll do, you know, if a job's worth doing? And all well, that. I think it's, yeah, and also if, if it's a part that you're going to want to gloss over or try and sort of direct people away from, then that's an indication that it's not, it's not right. Whereas mm. if it's, if you're happy with it, then, you know, then the whole thing, see it. yeah, the whole thing then becomes this jewel box of sort of um, every little piece in it is, is done to the same level of, you know, finesse and, you know, attention to detail. That's when it really kind of just sparkles when, when you lift the lid on it and then there it all is. The, the different textures, the different finishes, the different paints. So it's, yeah, I don't think you can have scruffy bits that you're not happy with. This is why I think the rivet counting is important too, because there's a lot of little details. We're looking at the inside of the turret at the moment. There's a lot of little details in there, which generally are left off kits because people don't know what it is or hmm. you know what it looks like or what have you. Hmm. But it's all those little details more than the big ones to me, which make it realistic, which sort of bring it to life. Yeah. Because real tanks inside don't have big empty spaces. They're no. very, you know, they're full of stuff. And aircraft are as well. Yeah, and there's often, the, the other thing is as well, you know, I see other, I see, I see models with interiors where people have just, you know, scrubbed a brush all over everything to sort of indicate mm -hmm. wear and things. And without any regard to, certain bits of the tank that really are going to be apart from a layer of a film of dirt, you know, dust or something are really not going to be used or touched because mm -hmm. they're, they're out of reach of the crew, you know, they're, or they're behind some other piece of equipment. So to scrub every edge with a, with a sort of dirty Brown color, you know, just doesn't, isn't appropriate, but yeah, no, it's, um, you know, this, it is, you know, I wear rivet counting. I know it's used as a pejorative a lot, and it, it's not something I'm very happy about, but that's the nature of the hobby. But the best modelers are exponents of that. The reason they're every, the reason you look at their work and think that's fantastic because they paid attention to those details. Mm. They are concerned about things being the right color. They are concerned because it's about... If it's not about replicating something in miniature, in scale miniature, then what is it about? You know, any more, you might as well just draw a sketch of whatever it is you want, that you're interested in, because if it's not precise and it's not exact or as exact as you can make it, then it isn't the real thing. And for me, it needs to be as close as I, as I can get to making it look like what I, I mean, there has to be a little degree of interpretation because, you know, without colour photography and things, you, you know, it's hard to be cert completely certain. But on my, on this vehicle, for example, there was by chance an extremely well-balanced, very good quality colour photograph taken of another tank after it was abandoned from the same unit. Um, I think it was the fifth company and mine was the sixth company. And you could clearly see the, the, the nature of the camouflage in this 
so I was able to base my camouflage very closely on that and with 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 a degree of confidence that I might not have otherwise had so so that was really really helpful um but again that was another part of me really making sure that I could I was going to be as accurate as possible and the fact that you know little things like the fact the gun barrel is unpainted um clearly came through in the photos and things um or the, the one the one that I was referring to before had a camouflage applied over it but my one didn't so things like that you know are just for me quite critical in uh, in terms of you know and I spent I spent ages with the exhaust muffler I almost stripped it right off and started again because it wasn't it wasn't working for me. It wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't what I had in my mind's eye. And it didn't look like what I knew these things looked like. And it, but I stuck with it and I went, I worked it and worked it and worked it. And eventually it clicked. And I had something that I thought, yeah, that's now I'm happy with it. Now it looks like a, what I've seen these things look like in, in period photos and in museums and in running vehicles and combining them together to get that finish. Well, it certainly was an epic build that we all got to follow along with, which is the rarity. You know, uh, a lot of people's best work is done in the privacy of their own home or, or you see uh, an article about it later. But I think for uh, for myself and, and a lot of others, it was a real treasure to be able to follow every step of the way that, that you published um, and seeing the struggles and the victories and seeing new um Details come to light and how you work them in there. I'm, I feel certain there were times you wanted a one sixteenth tail David Parker to get in there and <laughs> attach some of these bits or a team of them, ideally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, definitely there was. Uh, obviously, there's been moments of massive frustration along the way. You know, when things haven't worked the way I wanted them, or things of information has come to light after I'd finish some part and then um, I've had to go back and undo the work that's already been done but that's the nature of the, the thing so you just you you know you suck it up well it's super cool and we're glad that you could take a few minutes to share it with us and with all our listeners we could do probably a whole episode about this project but I know you've got other things to do and places to be so Thank you again for, for taking the time. <laughs> Thanks, David. No, it's been a, it's always an absolute pleasure to talk to you guys, um, and um, I appreciate you asking me on. It's uh, it's very flattering. So thank you. Hi everyone, it's Chris here from Inside the Armour Publications, and I'd like to tell you about my new book, Models for Ukraine, Volume Two. Volume One was produced in March this year in response to the invasion of Ukraine and the humanitarian crisis that ensued, and raised over £19,300 humanitarian aid via the Disasters Emergency Committee Ukraine Appeal. Volume Two will do the same thing. All profits are going to go to the DEC Appeal, and all the artists featured have donated their work to help people in Ukraine. Artists include Calvin Tan. Jean-Bernard André, Matt McDougall, and many more. And it features aircraft, armour, ships, and figures. You can get the book at insidethearmour.com. 
You can also find out more about Ukrainian models and manufacturers at modelsfromukraine.buzzbout.com, which is my new podcast about Ukrainian model makers and features interviews with companies and individuals in the country involved in model making. And don't forget, the Sprue Cutters Union is just one of a number of superb scale modelling podcasts. There are too many to list, but go to modelpodcasts.com to find a full list of all these great shows. All right, folks, thank you so much for listening to those special interviews that we had. I hope you enjoyed them. We thought it was a good idea to get these guys on and get them to chat about it, and we liked it. And that's usually a pretty good barometer. If we like it, you'll... You'll like it or you'll tell us you didn't. So <laughs> once again, if you if you want to drop us a line, drop us a line. But we hope you did. It was it was fun catching up with those guys and hearing their thoughts after these big projects. Yeah, super cool stuff. You know, maybe ran a little bit long. We had a lot of stuff to talk about today, but uh, good stuff, lots of content. And we really appreciate those three guys taking the time. Um, out of their actual day jobs. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Shane was doing the interview from inside his work truck. <laughs> yeah, and he still had the best sound out of anyone. <laughs> he did, right? It was fantastic. And John was on his lunch break from being a rocket scientist, uh, you know, and, and, you know, Mr. Parker, that was, it was what? He was like nine o'clock in the evening for him after a long day of editing the most fantastic model making magazine on the planet. I have to say that because you know my phantom, my 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 phantom, my hornet's going to be in there in a minute. It was self promotion. Yeah, I'm I don't know. Hot, I mean, my my had a model in, in the in the uh, AFV modeler. Not yes, you did. Now, so. That's right. That's right. I haven't had anything in any of them. Yeah, that's a lie. Uh, well, not true. you do have to send it first. That's the problem. <laughs> I promised him a bunch and haven't delivered it. <laughs> you've been an AFV modeler before. Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd only had to pay like a few hundred quid. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Good stuff. What's happening on the next episode? Well, you've got an interview. Big interview for us on the next episode. Mm, that is right. I do. And I've been talking with those guys, getting organized. But that is going to be our friends over at Edward. Cool. Yep, I'm I'm super excited about that. We're gonna have both Jan and Vlad, so we've got, um, we we I mean you know we've got both of the horses. We're gonna get it straight from the horse's mouth. I think it's gonna be really cool to get an inside look. As long as we don't get it from both ends of the horse, that's that's all. I'm <laughs> Jan now is gonna be messaging me. Which end am I? <laughs> Whichever one gets in the room first. <laughs> Anyway, it's going to be cool. Yeah, it's going to be good. We've 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 uh, been talking to those guys for a long time about doing it. It's taken a while to get organized, but yeah, we're stoked. Uh, so, yep, tune in for that. Sweet. Bye then. <laughs> <laughs> How do I get out See of here? <laughs> Off you fuck. <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks so much. We'll see you soon. Hey. glasses, red sweater, love Ooh. it. There, now, see, now that, <laughs> that is red. And it's not a jumper. It's a it's hoodie. Pink. It's a hoodie. It's, a, it's not a hoodie at all. Well, well his, his doesn't is have a hood. Not. Mine is a hoodie. It's a jumper. And 
no, once you cross over no, to the other it's side not of the a ocean, jumper. It's a jumper. No, 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 dude. College girls wear jumpers. Okay, let's get that straight. <laughs> Listen, when you're dancing in the discotheque, bumper to bumper, you got to make sure you know where your jumper is. Where's my jumper? Where's my jumper? Where's my jumper? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's John let's is spare, that's for Pat McGrath. That John, one. John is John is like, what the fuck oh, no. am I doing I'm, here? I t- he's like, I took time totally off. Totally enjoying this. He's like, I took time out of my lunch break for this bullshit. Yeah. Worst lunch break ever. 